Greetings from Tromaville. This is Mark Torgel, a.k.a. Melvin the Mop Boy, letting you know that my friends at the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast are producing an in-depth retrospective for the 1984's gonzo exploitation splatter extravaganza known as the Toxic Avenger, directed by the great Lloyd Kaufman. Grab your mops, pop some popcorn, and enjoy the retrospective. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning head, turning ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcast and mouthpiece of the Southeast. Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. It's December and old Saint Nick is just around the corner, but fuck it. I didn't want to wait to the 25th to start opening up presents, so you have to understand my utter excitement when I received that incredible introduction at the top of this episode from Melvin the Mop Boy himself, Mark Torgel. And as incredible of a present as that is, the gifts are just going to keep on coming as we proceed with an in-depth retrospective for 1984's The Toxic Avenger. However, in addition to the retrospective, we're also going to hear from Last Drive-In music man and trauma producer John Brennan about his love of trauma and his involvement with the Toxic character over the years. Plus, we're also going to hear from the host with the motherfucking most, the founder of Project Louder, TJ Bowser, about his undying love for the Toxic Avenger. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Come on down to Mass by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mass by Lance. Go order one now, boy! Everybody, this is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser, the lady arouser, owner and founder of ProjectLouder.net, your source for pop culture and so much more. And I am joining you today to talk about 1984's The Toxic Avenger, the trauma classic that spawned an entire franchise, three sequels, an animated spinoff. I mean, and I don't think it gets any better than that. Now, the first film holds a very, very special place in my heart, as it does for most people. You know, this I remember the first time that I watched this film, and it just blew me away. For one, it kind of introduced me to this lower-budget style of horror film, and also, I've never experienced this level of sleaze before, if that's how you want to say it, and I absolutely fell in love with it from the first watch. Whenever I was introduced to Melvin for the first time and then seeing his transformation and just then him getting revenge on everyone was just absolutely crazy. Some of the most crazy and absurd scenes ever in a movie are on here. Even like a kid getting ran over by a car. Like this movie goes where nobody else even dares to go. And I think that that's what led to his success. And that's why it eventually 
got as big as it did. I mean, especially with the cartoon and the sequels. I mean, Troma in general kind of blossomed from here on out. And I think it is all can be attributed to the Toxic Avenger and its success. I love this film. I love its sequels. I love the animated cartoon. And I love Troma. Thank you guys for having me. And until next time, stay spooky, motherfucker! Hello, everyone. John Brennan here from The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz of Troma Entertainment were and will always be my mentors in the film industry. I performed every single job at Troma HQ from scrubbing the toilets to producing the movies. I wrote, directed, edited, and scored hundreds of hours of digital content for them. But, most importantly, I played the Toxic Avenger more times than I am able to count. I played him at conventions, movie premieres, in short films, on DVD and Blu-ray intros, in promotional materials, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, at the Cannes Film Festival, in Mad Magazine posing in a picture next to Uncle Lloydie, in a VR movie called The Heart of Fartness, which is basically the Toxic Avenger 4.5, on Kevin Smith's Comic Book Men, which aired on AMC. In that episode, I got to crush Ming and Mike's heads. Somehow, that moment felt the most in-canon to me, as if I were finally a real part of the Toxic Avenger's legacy. The first time I saw a Toxic Avenger movie, I was around 10 years old. I rented parts 2 and 3 at the video store because part 1 was out. Toxie 2 and 3 did not disappoint. They were basically live-action comic book movies with extreme violence and nudity. Right up my young alley. Not long after, I was able to rent the first Toxic Avenger. And that, my friends, is an absolute masterpiece. What I love about the character of the Toxic Avenger is that his story can go on forever and ever. Humans are inherently evil so there will always be something for the Toxic Avenger to fight against. I'd love to see him take on corrupt politicians in Washington, D.C., MS-13, space aliens, and surf Nazis. I even have a pitch for Toxie versus Jason, which would take place right after the events of Jason Takes Manhattan. I know currently there's a Hollywood remake in the works with writer-director Macon Blair attached, and I believe that's a very interesting choice. But what I'd really love to see is for Lloyd Kaufman to return to the director chair one last time for a full-on, balls-to-the-wall, Toxic Avenger movie. There is a script, and it goes under a few working titles, such as The Toxic Twins, From Russia with Sludge, and Grime and Punishment. In it, Toxie goes to Chernobyl. I am sold. I would follow Uncle Lloydie to the depths of the most poisonous place on Earth, and I know many others would as well. So, here's to celebrating the Toxic Avenger and hoping that he has many, many, many new adventures. It's cleanup time! Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN.
Somewhere between the suburbs of depravity and the boulevard of bad taste lies a quaint little borough known as Tromaville. Unfortunately, Tromaville's inhabitants reside under the thumb of political corruption and live in constant fear of the cavalcades of murderous maniacs who roam the streets in search of bloody mayhem. However, born out of tragedy, a hero will rise to take up the trash of the forces of evil and literally clean up the mess of the foulest of the foul, mop in hand. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and tonight we're going to tackle 1984's The Toxic Avenger with an in-depth retrospective. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. So there was only one person to join me this month, making his valiant return to the Black Lodge. We had the cigarette-smoking, pussy-poking, booze-swilling, neck-flicks-and-chilling, the baron of the buffet, the top dog of the raw dog, Fat Tony! Woo! The only way to do this right is to snort a fat rail of 80s cocaine. I am fucking ready for this. (laughs) And tonight we're going to be talking about the toxic... Avenger. The first superhero from New Jersey. And as much as we'd like to derail the people of New Jersey, tonight we're going to be talking all things positive. Fuck yes we are. I, I As an early Christmas present to me and mine, I bought this on Amazon Prime because shamefully I did not own this on physical media. So I watched this. My stepdaughters came out and watched the last 30 <laughs> minutes with me with no context. <laughs> I love it. It was a great time. Well, let's just hit the ground running. The Toxic Avenger premiered in New York City in May of 1984, but it did not see a uh, theatrical release, albeit limited, until April 11th, 1986. It was made on a budget of $475,000. Now, let that sink in. $475,000. Not even a half a million dollars. Just shy of a half a million dollars. Okay, I gotta say this. Even in the 80s, when money was a lot more than this today, that's still super fucking low budget for an effects-heavy, gross-out horror comedy like this. Now, adjusted for inflation in 2020 money, that comes out to be roughly $1,190,417. That's still nothing. That's half the amount of cocaine money you'd need to enjoy the... Full oeuvre of trauma releases. (laughs) Indeed. However, in its limited theatrical uh, run, it grossed $800,000. So it basically doubled its entire budget. And that's not taking into account the multitudes of money that it made over the years on VHS, DVD, streaming, and otherwise. You know, it's 2020 right now. You know, this is like 36 years ago. And we're talking about it today, so obviously now, it's still breaking in money. Adjusted. They got $10 of my money today on Amazon Prime. And thank you, thank you very much for supporting our good friends at Troma Entertainment. Fuck yeah. Now, adjusted for inflation in 2020 money, that comes out to be $2,400,913. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but for a limited release movie in 1984, or really in 86... That's a lot of money for a movie that really didn't see a lot of theaters. And if you know anything about Trauma Productions or anything like that, that's a mega hit for them. Well, we'll, t- we'll get into the weeds about why they uh, ditched the whole theatrical run and subsequently moved into pretty much a direct-to-video manufacturer Lord production Kaufman company. knows where the money's at. Yeah, he does know where the money's at. Uh, if you had to take a, a shot in the dark, what do you think the IMDb rating for The Toxic Avenger is? I'm going to say my choice would be 8.0, but I'm going to say for the normies, 6.5. Dude, you are almost dead on 6.3. You know, this is this, as as foul and obscene and as unpolitically woke as this movie is. Good on them, man. Good on them. <laughs> uh, now, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, surprisingly, 
And th- this absolutely blew my mind because I thought this was going to be a rotten movie. 70% fresh. I did secretly know that because I looked that up today in my prep for this. Because, again, I'm excited. Me and Brandon have discussed some intellectually interesting or socially aware horror movies in the past. And I, we, we both talk talk about our love of schlock. Oh, dude, this is... This top, is schlock central. This, this is, is top, top tier. Top tier, top ten schlock films of exactly. all time. Exactly. And that honestly shocked me. As I didn't see the audience score. The audience score is 63%, which is still surprising. But you have to think that critics were actually nicer to this movie than the audience was. You know what? That's just... That... that I didn't see the audience score. I just saw the tomato meter. That's still fresh, by the way. That is still fresh. You know what? Those 70... Or, wait, 37% of people that didn't give that a fresh rating... I think that math can, ends up. <laughs> can, yeah, it's 63? Yeah. That, that they can suck my dick. This movie's amazing. All at the same time. Like... I'll, I'll give them five seconds Fat Tony's each. Diamond Studded Fuck Hammer can accommodate all of your mouths simultaneously. We finally worked in my Diamond Studded Fuck Hammer joke about my, my average size penis on the podcast. I'm so happy. Oh, man. Well, that's Merry what... Christmas, everyone. <laughs> well, by the time you're hearing this, uh, it will... Well, actually, no, this will be December. December. What? Yeah, so, so um, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm going to hopefully... hang some holiday lights in my balls for everybody. <laughs> uh, put some, uh, what do they call it? Uh, mistletoe. mistletoe. Yeah. On my belt buckle. No, that's only for Sarah. I love you, blue-haired sexy beast. I won't <laughs> make her listen to this episode just for that line. I would I would hope she would listen to the episodes already. She doesn't. I, don't I be- have to make listen, her. I don't believe in hitting women, but if you're going to hit a woman, it should be for not listening to this podcast. Exactly! You know, not for anything else other than that. Open hand only. Yeah, no, no close fist. Let's, we're not barbarians. <laughs> we're gentlemen. <laughs> so, uh, Metacritic has uh, the Toxic Avenger at 42 out of 100. That's pretty much... For normies, that's still surprisingly that, high. That's what I thought. But if you had to guess, what do you think Google users rank the Toxic Avenger app? I did not check this out prior to recording. I'm glad you didn't either. I'm going to hope for an 80%. You're under... I'm under 84%. You back me up again, Google users. I swear. I love you all. I'll, I will make sweet love to everybody on, <laughs> that has rated this on know, Google. Hold, hold, your, hold your adulation because the only review that matters is the Rant Army review. That's now, true. Now, we put up a, a poll in our Facebook group and we allowed those of you out there in the Rant Army to cast your vote for what you believe. And it was only two options. Toxic Avenger good. Toxic Avenger bad. Now, if you had to guess, what did our rant army, what did they assert? 80-20. 95%. Okay, the 95% that chose it positively gets to make love to my sweet, sweet velvety butthole. <laughs> the 5% that didn't, I'm going to make hate on you with my diamond studded fuck hammer because this movie, for anybody following Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, should be right up your alley. I have to agree, and listen, I mean, this is a movie that is not for everybody. No, it's not, especially in this day and age. And so as for uh, a general audience, if you do not like this movie, I get it, but if you are among the few that maybe have seen this, like, in the past, and, you know, didn't have the discerning skills to observe, you know, the, the beauty that truly of what it is, 
give it another shot. I think you might be surprised in how much you enjoy this movie because it is it is definitely a competently made film. It is competently made. I again, I watched this today as a Christmas treat to myself. Bought it on Amazon Prime because I shamefully did not own it in physical media. Because I unfortunately have a family with teenagers and kids and everything. I don't get to have the Black Lodge that my I'm envious of Brandon A. Lane to have for his physical media collection. I was still surprised. I've seen this movie probably, honestly, like no joking aside, at least 12 to 13 times prior to this. You know, it's been yeah. it's been in my rotation. Weirdly enough, I'd always watch the sequels more. But like I was um, still like from... Hit and play on Amazon Prime to the end. I was just hooked. It is a fast-paced... There's never a dull moment. No, there's always gags or something. Yeah, it's very very engaging. Whether or not you enjoy schlock or not, that's a completely different story. My question to you is, if this movie were released today, would it have the same critical Mm. lauding that it had back then? No, no, because they still try to make schlock crazy movies in this day and age like i was just digging through amazon primes like i found one movie llamageddon about killer <laughs> llamas and uh i'm so santa jaws which i do have on my watch list to watch santa jaws hooked me Here, here's the thing about santa jaws not to not to derail this conversation but there was a movie several years prior to that called snow shark just saying, it's a little derivative, okay? <laughs> I remember Snow Sharks. I've actually seen that, but uh, on Sci-Fi Channel, like at 2 o'clock in the morning or something. But no, I don't believe it would because the 80s was the rise of schlock horror and all the really good independent direct-to-video things, but like it struck gold in its time. It really, it really did, but it's so hard to classify this movie as like comedy or horror or action or a superhero movie because it's a little bit of everything. I'm going to stop you right there. I want to see the Toxic Avenger join the Marvel Universe <laughs> in a hard R crossover with Deadpool and then then I will respect modern filmmakers. I just ejaculated. <laughs> That pure would be pure great. Joy. joy. A rainbow shot out of my penis, and it blew a hole through the side of the Black Lodge. I'm about ankle deep in his <laughs> rainbow joy. So, on Fat Tony's hit list, what do we have for our kill count? We have 23, 24, if you include Sarah seeing Eye Dog. And of course we do, because not only is it a sweet and innocent dog, but it is a professional. That dog getting killed, and we'll talk about it when we get into our victim section. But that is super convincing. <laughs> is it a low-budget movie for a dog to act that well? Because there's that old adage, you do not work with children, you don't work with animals. This movie sort of avoids the uh, the children angle, although there are a couple of sprinkled, you know, non-important roles. But that dog gets shot, and he fucking dies so perfectly. It was so sad. And on Stank Dick Eddie's titty tally, the one part of this movie that's going to let you down is only two titties in this yeah, movie. Yeah, you see him twice. So you see four titties through the movie, but it's the same chick, because I was watching today for research. (laughs) I did air quotes. You can't see that, but I'm doing that. But, you know... I was, I was shocked. I had my in my head. I thought there were more titties. I re- I had convinced myself that Sarah, who's the Toxic Adventures girlfriend later on, I convinced that she had a nude scene and she does have a sex scene and we'll talk about it. But there's no nudity in See, it. I convinced myself that that Julie, I think the blonde haired chick, 
I thought she showed her tits. She does show her tits. It's the brown-headed chick that shows her tits. No, it's not no, the blonde-headed. No, Julie does show her tits because she takes, like, if I take off my pink, or if you put on your pink, I'll take mine and off. No, because she's in the dark and he wakes up to the lice-infested and the real-life yeah, lice-infested but, but, chick. But, but, but before that, when they're in the locker room. Well, there's room, the other chick who shows her tits who's masturbating to Polaroids yes, of the dead children. And that's Wanda. And and God bless her because we're going to talk about so how that was. you just said two. That would be four. I'm saying there's two women. Oh, two, two women. Two women. I'm thinking a set. Okay, and Brandon is also <laughs> going off the unrated cut. I'm going off the already. There are. I there apologize. Are, there people. are minor differences. There are minor differences. <laughs> Being that the Toxic Avenger was initially released in 1984, but didn't really get into theaters until 1986, we're going to weigh it against the films of 1986 rather than 1984. So let's check out the Toxic Avengers stiff competition. Before I even look at this list, it's going to be at the bottom for money-wise. I'm not saying quality, but for money-wise. There's no way anything on this list he just handed me is going to be lower. But let's see what For the sake of argument, let's check it out. For the sake of argument, being the 80s, man, this is going to be some serious competition. Okay, we have Maximum Overdrive. Stephen King's coke-fueled directorial <laughs> debut and ending of directing Ami- movie. Emilio! <laughs> Emilio! We have Critters. We have From Beyond, which is probably... I hate to say this, I probably like this a little bit better than Reanimator. Don't hit me. I, I, I'm not going to argue with it. Plus, you get um, Barbara Crampton and awesome... Mm, uh, S&M, S&M Leather, yes. Mm. David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly, which was a great remake, just like Evil Dead's remake, which uh, Brandon has still yet to ever watch. You're never going to get away from it. I know. Okay, Night of the Creeps. Tom Atkins at his glorious best. The Hitcher, honestly, like one of my favorite record horror movies ever. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. We fucking love it. Fucking love it. Poltergeist 2, which seriously, my sister had just got braces when we rented this on VHS and there's a whole scene in the bathroom. Fucked her up. Friday the 13th Part 6, arguably one of the top three Friday the 13th movies it's ever. It's probably the, it's pro- all around probably the best of the series. Scares. That's a whole other competition. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Friday the 13th. Chopping Mall, one of the most misleading VHS covers you can ever have, but an amazing, fun Also directed movie. by our good friend Jim Wynorski, who uh, may or may not still be at odds with us. We're, we're not entirely sure. April Fool's Day. <laughs> I, I don't, I just don't care for it. I don't hate it. I, I really like April Fool's Day, and we've actually talked about doing it on the podcast <coughs> a couple of times. But it's a movie that almost falls flat because once you know the twist, it's like, why why, why bother? Deadly Friend. I always loved uh, the mom from Goonies' death scene in oh, this yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, she gets her head blown off by a fucking <laughs> basketball. basketball. Psycho 3, not as good as Psycho 2. It's hey, a movie. I, I will say this, and Anthony Perkins directed Psycho 3, and there is a really strong yellow stylistic change to the look of the film. There's a lot of like high contrast colors and stuff. So visually it's a more interesting movie than part two, but narratively part two is a way better film than I'll give you that. I won't argue. Troll, the original. It's like a, a weird fucked up acid trip of a movie. Sonny Bono's Julia in Louise or Dreyfus? Julia Louis Dreyfus, yeah. Yeah. God, she looked fucking sexy as hell in that movie. And Manhunter. What I didn't realize until way later in life is really like, Silence of the Lambs is a sequel to that movie. Um, And 
I may be in the minority, but I think it's my favorite of the, of the uh, series. I'm not, I'm not going to argue. I, it's not the best iteration of Hannibal the Cannibal, but overall as a no, movie, you're you're probably right. You nailed, put the nail on the head about this not being yeah, it's going to be in the top five. On the list. It's not in the top five. But if you had to take a, a guess out of like those movies, what do you think is the top grossing? Manhunter. I'm not even in the top you're, five. You're not even in the top five. No, oh. Manhunter was not a big hit. Number one, actually, I'll start. I'll start at five and work our way down. Okay. Coming in with thirteen million one hundred sixty-seven thousand two hundred thirty-two dollars, Critters, great movie, great movie, great Love movie, great movie. Uh, coming in at number four, Psycho Three with fourteen million four hundred eighty-one thousand six hundred six dollars. Coming in at number three with nineteen million four hundred seventy-two thousand and fifty-seven dollars, Friday Thirteenth Part Six. Surprisingly, coming in at number two. Poltergeist 2, $40,996,665. I'm not going to really say surprisingly. It's coming. It's a sequel to one of the best Haunted House scary movies of the 80s. Big I commercial only, impact. I only say surprisingly because it, when I guessed before I did my list, I thought it was going to be number one. Oh. Number one. David Cronenberg's The Fly. You know, it's so sixty gross. million six hundred thirty-two thousand and eighty-eight dollars. Uh, here's a little bit of a note: I didn't include James Cameron's Aliens because that That's airs a movie. little more on the action and sci-fi side. Yeah. But if I had included that, that would have been number one and way ahead of the pack. I mean, was one hundred eighty million dollars at the box office? It's a remake, just like Evil Dead. Ah, fuck which is amazing. You. Fuck you. I will watch that movie. I will not watch the Evil Dead remake, and there and until there is a compelling argument to get me to do otherwise. Get on the I will Facebook page. <laughs> demand that Brandon A. Lane watch the Evil Dead remake. We don't even have to do an episode about it. I just want him to watch it. I want to be here when he watches it, and I want to hear him say. Okay, that was a fucking good move. If I could get 10 people, if I can get 10 people out of you out there in the rant army to message me directly saying, watch this movie, I will consider it. But you know what? In the entire time this has been a running joke, not a single person. Direct me. His DMs are open, people, and especially you ladies out there. That's He's right. single and ready to mingle. That's right. In the history of schlock cinema, Troma has a... They have a corner on the market. To they be have flat a corner out on the market, and Toxic Avenger is like the Citizen Kane or Seventh Seal of schlock cinema. So to properly examine the Toxic Avenger, we've got to go back in time, back to the like the early 70s. So let's go from page to screen. Let's figure out how we got to the Toxic Avenger. Hell yes. In 1974, Lloyd Kaufman and his business partner, Michael Herz, they founded Troma Entertainment and began producing and distributing independent comedy and action films. That's a that's world, surprising news to me. That's a world away from what Troma uh, you know, ended up becoming. Uh, in order to pay the bills, Kaufman did a lot of freelance work for major uh, Hollywood productions, including the Academy Award-winning film Rocky, which, I don't know if you knew this, but Rocky, the film Rocky, was edited on Troma's editing 
Bay. I didn't know that. I knew he had something. To, I think I'd heard somewhere back in the day he had something to do with it. I didn't remember that specific. I think he's. I think he's actually in the background of one scene. I, I, I may. I may Lord be Coffin's everywhere. Lloyd yeah. Coffin lives in my dreams. He has a lot more well. connections. <laughs> By the way, Lloyd Kaufman just uh, retweeted something we did, and like I nearly shit my pants. I screamed out loud, and my my fiance, who I love to death, is a big. Who fan, Doctor Who, and the only way I can describe it is like, say you put something online and David Tennant retweeted that, and she's like, look me dead in the eyes, and I'll see her. She's like, okay, I get that now. Kaufman's work on studios film, studio films, it would come to an end after a quote-unquote bad experience working on the Kirk Douglas film, The Final Countdown. Um, from 1979 to 1981, Kaufman and Hearst produced and directed a series of very profitable, sexy comedies, including uh, Squeeze Play, Waitress, Stuck on You, and The First Turn On. But mainstream success would ultimately elude them, and it would be achieved until the unlikely tale of New Jersey's first superhero who would come to fruition. Oddly enough, the root of the idea for the Toxic Avenger would come and kind of take shape when Coffin was working uh, on the set of Rocky. The idea of making a raunchy sex comedy entitled Health Club was quickly changed to a horror film after reading a magazine article with the headline, quote-unquote, Horror Film is Dead. Only Lloyd Kaufman <laughs> could read a headline that says... This will make you no money. And like, well, fuck, well, we're going to make a movie in this He's genre. Fucking genius. <laughs> uh, see, comedy and sex have always had a big part of the trauma brand, but without the inclusion of horror, it begs the question, would trauma still be around if they hadn't switched to horror? No, 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 no. You can get titties anywhere. You can get sexy, raunchy stuff anywhere. Their level of high-quality schlock, like I'm talking top shelf, amazingly offensive, gross, low-budget schlock is unattainable in any other studio. Previous to this, we had kind of talked about in our People Under the Stairs episode, which is available in the archive at JuicyKruger.com, how Wes Craven was known for elevated horror. Would you consider The Toxic Avenger elevated schlock? Yeah, okay, phrase like that, yeah. Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of... I was just talking about Brandon about a movie I saw on Amazon, Llamageddon, about killer alien llamas. <laughs> it's just schlock. It's bad schlock. But, no, there's... There's a lot of care put into this movie, which really? which ultimately is a very dumb premise. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's, it's a it's a mop boy dumped in toxic waste who is controlled, what we find out later, kind of like the Metachlorians in Star Wars. You shut the fuck up. How like dare you? traumatons. How dare you? To destroy, he's not even called the Toxic Avenger in the movie. It's the, the monster, monster hero. hero to destroy evil. Damn, Lord, thank you, Lloyd Kaufman. I just want to hug him, just once. I yeah, I have to think that like if Trauma had not switched to horror, they would not be the longest running independent film company in the United States. Exactly, and that's just me being honest. Because I've never seen any of these uh, sex comedies. I've only seen their horror and yeah. sci-fi horror and fucked up horror. and now, that By shit. the way, Trauma has a, a streaming service. And I'm not sure if, like, if these sex comedies are on there or not. But I actually would kind of be curious to go back and, and watch these to see, like, are, are they as good as Porky's? Are they as good as, you know, Animal House? I and, guarantee you they're not, but they're going to have a lot of tits. Because Lloyd Coffin knows what side his butter's bread's up, bread up. <laughs> his bread is buttered on. Sorry. We also, I, this, in this episode, last time I shamefully came too early to 
purchase liquor. And again, the only way to do this right is really a big bag of cocaine, but I'm not looking to go to jail. So I brought us liquor and we are schnackered. We're like four shots in. We're four shots in. We're pretty, I think, I feel like we're pretty uh, competent, competent enough with four shots in us. Oh yeah, I'm not slurring like Exorcist episode. <laughs> Which, yo, my mom had just died in that episode, so I was, oh, shit hammered. But it's a good episode. I was just listening to it. To shift a more horror-centric uh, sort of formula, paid off with subsequent uh, releases of new, uh, the class of Newcomb High. Um, but their success on the big screen would be short-lived. And there was a monumental flop of the film in 1988 called Troma's War. Now, we both love this film. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even have to, like, ask you if you love this film. I know you love this film. Exactly. Recently, um... Uh, spotlighted on uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob. We love you, Joe Bob. We do love you, Joe Bob. There was a blooming direct-to-video market, and Troma found new life in capitalizing on this business model. So, was the direct-to-VHS market a good move for low-budget studios, Troma, and just otherwise? Oh, absolutely. You know, you don't have the marketing problems, you don't have the distribution problems, you don't have... The excess baggage that comes with trying to get your movie on the screen. Video stores were in their heyday. I miss that day so much. Well, Thank you, Popcorn Video in Greenville. You, that's the point right there. And we consume, you and I, and our generation consume media differently than like today's generation. Because all they have to do is go on Amazon Prime or Netflix, and they just switch. You know, you can click through and see the video covers. But what we would do is we would actually go in there, and we would hold it in our hands, and we would read the synopsis. And that movie cover, even though sometimes it was completely in the movie. opposite, chopping of, mall of what the movie was about, that was enough to make us like, okay, I'm going to spend my you know dollar nine or whatever to rent this. And you're absolutely right, but I will make us not so much curmudgeonly old man because the availability of an easily accessible digital platform has allowed for dumbass shit like Lamageddon. but also what was the movie about the bowling alley killer? oh f- oh f- that was crowdfunded um it was oh, crowdfunded fuck. And, uh, oh man oh my god it's about a killer and a bowling i i did We're- not know <laughs> I, we, I was we, gonna bo- throw- we both just watched this uh, the other night, and why can't I not fucking think We'll move on called? from this while I Google the answer. It allows even more so and a wider audience for uh, movies these days. See, the the video, the direct-to-video market got a bad rap as it went on because, like, like you were saying with Lamageddon, Back in those days, like, okay, well, I'm going to take a VHS camera, and I'm going to record some shit, and I'm going to release it. And a lot of that stuff got released into the direct-to-video market. You have to remember that, like, the first generation of, like, direct-to-video were shot on film, and they were, like, higher real, quality, real, yes. real movies, just lower budget. So my question to you is, like, uh, did Stop. Do- it was gutter balls. Gutter people. balls. Yes. Go to Amazon Prime and fuck watch that shit. <laughs> it is, as Brandon put it in his message, message to me, one of the worst movies ever made and one of the best <laughs> movies ever made. It's very much in the style of a trauma movie, is it not? It, it really fuck. Now it gets really fucking harsh it, early on, but then it if, then the fun happens if you, later. If you do not have a taste for rape in cinema, this is not going to change your mind. Um, for the artistic merits of the potentiality. But the kills are great. They're, they smothers two people 69. <laughs> he does. <laughs> anyway, moving on with this. So, uh, um, where, where are you positioned, like, then and now about direct-to-video? Like, did they feel less 
like less to you back then? No, honestly, like you said, on film, a lot more practical effect. They had to. Their digital didn't exist. Even if they were badly done, like like even something oh microwave like, microwave massacre, don't go in the woods. Those are shot on shittyo movies. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about shot on shittyo. I'm talking about film, shot on film, direct to video movies. Savage Weekend. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's a bad one, but they do until like nowadays or even sh- the shot on shittyo era. Those feel like lesser, even if they have a good premise, like. Like it can take me out of it if I don't like the way it looks. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to to now in twenty twenty uh, going into twenty twenty one to be able to just take an iPhone and make a decently looking film. Unsane by uh, what was it? Not Brian Singer. Somebody, the guy who did uh, Men in Black, Steven Soderbergh. I, th- I believe. Don't quote me. I'm drunk right now, people. But I'm I'm ninety percent certain he shot that on an iPhone seven plus. Nowadays you can, but there was a window between like the early to mid-90s to like the early 2000s that it was less. I'm sorry. No, you're absolutely right. And I I grew up on trauma movies and Full Moon. And like to me, like those felt like the same as like your high-budget movies. Now in exactly. retrospect, looking at them, I'm like, wow, yes. this is, the budget is way different. But it wasn't until like the mid-90s where like you're like, wow, like these movies really suck. I understand the VHS stigma, but Troma was able to kind of rise above that. And I never held the VHS direct-to-video market against them. Yeah, exactly. The formula has always worked because Troma, they're the longest-running independent horror movie in America. And uh, boasting a rabid and loyal fan base. Toxic Avenger uh, was my introduction to Troma. And the exploitation elements were like just like nothing I had never seen. What was your first trauma movie? Class of Newcomb High. I remember specifically renting it at not Video Tan, the the video store that burnt down by Food City on. Oh, uh, movie Road. movie time. Movie time. Yeah. I, I rented that at movie time. That was my introduction to trauma. And then I think I specifically looked for trauma movies after that because it was just so fun and dumb and silly. Toxic Avenger was probably my third or fourth. No, they had the five movies for five days for five dollars. Yes, I got all three uh, Toxic Avenger movies and some two other movies my sister wanted. This is my Toxic Avenger story. And I'm pretty sure I've told this on the podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's, you know, incredibly important to this episode and just my overall fandom for trauma in like 1990 or 1991 you got to remember i'm like five six years old and i come from a uh, divided family and on the weekends my dad was supposed to have custody of me but it ended up most times being my grandmother i know right hits you right in the feels. it does and my grandmother trying to compensate for this would always take me to like walmart or kmart or roses back in the day was this the cool grandma that you saw horror movies with this was okay. my cool Good grandma. Honor. she took me to roses this weekend and she came to the realization that like you know what i'm going to get brandon something special and she told me i could get something that was twenty dollars, and back back in like nineteen ninety, yeah. that was That's a lot. That was a lot of money. I I had a couple of choices, and uh, it was like get like a fuck ton of GI Joes, get a small Lego set, or get a movie. Because back then, you know, VHSs yeah. were you know like twenty twenty three dollars, give or take. I'm looking in the rack, 
and there's this movie called The Toxic Avenger. I don't know anything about it, but just looking at the cover, I'm like, this guy's kind of like the Hulk. <laughs> There you go. That's so precious. (laughs) And, you know, the first superhero from uh, New Jersey. So I'm thinking, like, this is going to be, like, 89 Batman or, you know, it's it's, it's a superhero movie. (laughs) So So this was my choice. And we take it back to her house. And this is a Friday night. You know what happened on Friday nights in the 90s? TGIF. So in the kitchen on a 13-inch black and white TV, she is watching Full House and a room and a half away from her (laughs) in the living room. I put in the Toxic Avenger, and within, like, the first 15 minutes, I knew that this was a movie that I would get my ass worn out for watching, and it come to a part where there was a young lady straddling a young man by the name of Wanda and Slug, and and um, they're having uh, coitus, and uh, Melvin the Mop Boy comes upon them, and um, and she pulls out a knife and is like, Hey, I'll cut you! And I immediately tore that fucker out of the VCR. <laughs> and that was a movie that, like, I was terrified. I was terrified at the prospect of being caught. So I took the, the label off of it, and I threw away. I threw away the case. Fucking genius! I threw away the case, and I put it in Ark of the Covenant. So, oh my god! Now, when I first moved to the Black Lodge, back when I was like you know like eighteen or nineteen years old, um, I didn't have internet and have cable or anything. And the thing I had to my benefit was a VHS player because at that point my DVD player needed a RF you know cable box or whatever. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I didn't have one. So for the first couple of weeks I'm living here, I didn't have access to fucking DVDs. So I had to watch all these VHSs. So I'm watching Young Frankenstein. And I'm watching MASH and like a bunch of old movies. And I'm come across <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. I'm like, fuck it, I love Indiana Jones. I'm going to watch this movie. Uh. I pop it in. And it's at that it, that very fucking moment, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, oh my god, the Toxic Avenger! I hadn't seen this movie in years, so I rewound it. I started from the beginning, and it, that was like a love affair with trauma that had started years before. Like, because by that point, like I had already rediscovered trauma in other elements, yeah. but it was like this come full circle moment where like the child had become a man. All right, I just secretly poured about a a third of a shot or something. Or me and Brandon are going to do a third of a shot to your grandma. We're going to do it Hell yeah. To my, to my racist grandmother. Okay, we, we don't. We that's why we're not doing a full shot. We're not going to drink to her racist side, but we'll no, drink to her being... Uh, behind the Toxic Avenger. I never met the lady. I didn't know she's racist. Oh, she's super racist. Then she'd love this movie. <laughs> she probably... Actually, you know what? No, she would hate this movie because it is... In, uh, I don't even get to that. So she can move on. Very evangelical in her, uh, uh, you know. Her when they took you to Friday the 13th movie. I know, the it doesn't make any sense. They're called hypocrites. That's true. <laughs> Never mind. Going up in church school. Oh, man. I get that. Trouble-filled films felt dangerous to me growing up, and a lot of people our age felt the same way. Um, these felt like films that could get you in trouble for seeing. Damn right. Was trauma your gateway drug? To exploitation films. Yeah. Well, see, it, it was kind of around the same time as that and Full Moon. Like, Full Moon, I got the, the, the higher class of Full Moon films first before I hit, like, you know, some of their crazier stuff. But it was like, Troma, like I said, class of 1984, or class of Newcomb High. Was, 
did they do Surf Nazis Must Die? Yes, they did. Surf with, Nazis with, Must Die with, uh, was the Dookie, second one. Dookie Flasswater. Show yes. Dookie Flaswater. At the same time, I was kind of on like subspecies and like um, directed by our uh, friend Ted Nicolau, who uh, is appeared on the podcast. Uh, Hell yeah! Uh, and uh, like subspecies and. Uh, of course, it's seen Puppet Master pretty early on, but it was around around this full moon and trauma. But trauma is the one again when I rented all three Toxic Avenger movies, which even Part Four kinds of shits on Part Two and Three. But I fucking love them. He fights the devil, people. He, he fights the devil for you. I have to say there there was like there was two moments in my life where that kind of guided me into like the love and like taking that off ramp to exploitation town. And it was trauma movies and a shout out to my childhood friend, Josh Basinger for, I can't remember what fucking birthday, but he convinced his parents to, to allow him to rent faces of death. And like that, that was, that was a fucking eye opener. That kid better be selling cars or a politician right now because he knows how to fucking talk. (laughs) Oh, but I still somewhere, uh, amongst the stuff I grabbed from my mom's house, have the two certificates of completion of watching Faces of Death Board and Fear at the Capri. Really? I have two of them. With, wow. Yeah. That's cool. You need to fucking... I need to find them, but there's a lot of shit I have to take through. God, you, need to, you need to fucking frame those and put them on the wall. How are people going to know you're awesome <laughs> if you don't know if you're certificates trauma and the toxic avenger were like the the hard r movies you know and uh, and they were adapted into several video games and animated series which was called the toxic uh, crusaders and which lasted for 13 episodes in 1991 and there was a toy line from playmates and uh, we uh, actually talked about this while we're you were outside smoking uh, there was a a musical so like the the toxic avenger has lived beyond just the silver screen and beyond just the normal exploitation audience too even into kit like it's like how they used to do toys for robocop a hard r action movie you brought that up and uh we're gonna hit that uh with the ground running because the 80s and 90s were a strange time where r-rated movies would have toy lines and cartoons aimed at children now as far as r-rated adapted animated series toy lines where do you rank the toxic avenger because it it was mid-level and i i youtube some old stuff i didn't watch it when it came out Maybe it just wasn't on a channel I had when I was 10, 90, 91, I was 9 to 10, which would have been perfect, and I would have watched it had I had access to it, so I must not have had access. Well, Playmates made the toys, and they're in the same scale and the same style as the Ninja Turtles, so they were trying to like piggyback on that wave of like Ninja Turtle mania. I was riding that wave hard back in the but day. But it just didn't, it didn't hit. Of all the things, of all the R-rated properties, because let's break it down, like Aliens, The Terminator, Robocop, Predator, the top, Rambo, Rambo, Cobra, not Cobra, but um, fuck, uh, Over the Top had an over action. The, uh, did I yeah, didn't know that? Yeah, like there, there was a bunch of weird we properties. Will sell anything to anybody was the motto of the eighties, and that's and that's and that's understandable because like Robocop, it's a Robocop. You know what it I mean? Sounds like a kid's <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, Ra- and, I remember watching like the Rambo cartoon show, like when it was on. I fucking loved it, but. The Toxic Avenger, like, how do no. you how do you make this for children? Do you have a big set of brass balls <laughs> and say, fuck it, there's probably a little money I can make from this. Did you ever play any of the video games? There was a Game Boy game, wasn't there? There was a Game Boy game. Like, way same. late in the day, because this was like 99. I still had my old Game Boy, and uh, I'd played, like, whatever one was for the Game Boy. And I, I didn't play it a lot, because I wasn't a huge gamer. 
and I liked marijuana and LSD way too much to sit around <laughs> and hold something. Like, the, the there was a Zelda game on acid I beat, like, something about flutes and birds. I don't know. Anyway, I played it once. Yeah, those games were fucking terrible. And if you need, any, I've, yeah. if you need uh, any uh, expedition into the world trauma as far as uh, video games are concerned, check out Cinemassacre. The Angry Video Game Nerd did a really good episode with Lloyd Kaufman. I fucking loved it, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff, so check them out on YouTube. Yeah, uh, the... I don't know how this made it. Uh, they were they were lucky to get this into like the position, but it's kind of sad that it didn't catch on with kids because we could have had an entire generation of of little kids riding that wave of like turtles that had a subsect for Toxie. Do you do you think there was any possibility that Toxie could have caught on? Having seen what I saw of the cartoon, people were doing a lot of cocaine. It's better than Captain Planet. Every, most everything was better. Captain Planet the, only hit because it was a cartoon available during the weekdays. And, and, and but they but they served the same purpose. And Toxie didn't <coughs> have a mullet. Maybe if Toxie had had a mullet, and they did, there was no gang of people making uh, like vilifying a young man with AIDS in in the Toxic Crusaders like there was on Captain Planet. <laughs> Did that happen? There was an episode where a basketball player had AIDS. It was like, oh, God. And, like, Jeff Goldblum's rat character was, like, fomenting the fear of that. It was a fucked up show, man. Wow. I had no idea. There's also a gang violence episode where they straight up kill somebody. Okay, maybe I need to reassess my love for Captain Planet. That sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like all those R-rated properties aside, they're not what we came to talk about. So, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the synopsis for 1984's or 86's, depending on how you look at it, The Toxic Avenger. I'm just going to go the 80's. Welcome to Tromaville, New Jersey, a small American town terrorized by criminals. The town's corrupt mayor sits idly by wild muggers, <laughs> robbers, and teenage punks victimize helpless citizens among the res residents of Tromaville as Melvin, a nerdy, emaciated janitor at a local health club. A gang of thugs devise a cruel hoax that goes horribly wrong as Melvin is cast through a third-story window and into a vat of toxic waste. However, an unexpected metamorphosis takes place. As the chemicals take, take hold of his body, Melvin turns into the Toxic Avenger, Doer of good and brutal mauler of evil. Now listen, albeit not as gross as something like Sallow or contemporarily disturbing like Lars von Trier's Antichrist, the Toxic Avenger remains an awesomely strange mix of like exploitation films of the 70s and the sex comedies of the early 80s. Now for the record, I have never heard Lloyd Kaufman directly say this, but my personal assertion is that the Toxic Avenger is just Death Wish and Porky's thrown into a blender. I am struck dumb by the genius of that idea. I know, I mean, right? And I gotta admit, that's a disgusting combination that I just can't get enough of. Largely part of the man running the show, our lord and savior of all things exploitation, Lloyd Kaufman. Hail Kaufman! And I don't want to sell short the contribution of Michael Hers because he did... Hail uh, Hers. He did uh, co-direct this, but we're going to focus mostly on Lloyd because, I mean, he's the figurehead of trauma. Uh, Lloyd has directed such films as The Class of Newcomb High, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, which we fucking love, 
He also did Tromeo and Juliet with Lemmy of Motorhead, who was in Airheads with Adam Sandler, who was in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters, You Just Got Busted. And he also did Terror Firmer, which is one of my favorite It is, is fucking films. great. Uh, wasn't, uh, real quickly, wasn't Tromeo and Juliet, wasn't it one of James Gunn's? It was written by James Gunn. Yes. We'll actually talk a little about okay, James cool. Gunn as we continue on. Poultry Geist, um, one of the one, <laughs> one of, the, of my few fa- musicals I can put in my top fifty favorite movies. I I, uh, I introduced this to a, a, a technical advisor at the podcast. We we had kind of like a um, random horror night. This has been several years ago, and uh, in this same night we watched uh, Nudist Colony of the Dead. And we watched this, and I think I broke him. He was like, I don't ever want to watch horror movies ever again. (laughs) Uh, But not to mention all of the Toxic Avenger sequels, especially Citizen Toxie with uh, with Ron Jeremy, who was an extra in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. But he's on. He's probably a racist, a rapist, and going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Well, but hey, he's in Ghostbusters. He was in Ghostbusters, man. I hope, I, God, if he listen, at least if he did the things he did, then I hope, I, I hope he goes to jail. If there isn't at least the consideration that he was in Ghostbusters during during his during his trial, then you that's a missed opportunity. <laughs> that's a great defensive strategy. All right, like, although Kaufman is primarily known for schlock, he has a legitimate background in film, and he actually has an Ivy League education. Kaufman graduated from Yale University in the class of 1968, where he intended to become a social worker, oddly enough. <laughs> His fellow Yale classmates including of that graduating class include Oliver Stone, who he would later go on to work with, and uh, future president George W. Bush, who uh, he would later not go to vote for. Following his graduation, Kaufman went on to work for Canon Films. So we love Canon. Canon forever, um, man. Where he would meet John G. Abelson, future Academy Award winner for directing Rocky. He also directed The Karate Kid, both terrific films. Uh, The two collaborated for several years, making low-budget films. During this period, Kaufman also directed his second feature film, The Battle of Love's Return, which garnered a lot of positive reviews, including the New York Times. They uh, wrote and produced a lesbian thriller called Sugar Cookies, with uh, Oliver Stone. Kaufman also served as the executive in charge of locations for Saturday Night Fever and served as the production manager on the critically acclaimed My Dinner with Andre. Is trauma a double-edged sword? Uh, Kaufman is has shown that he's successful in the field, um, but he's not respected like the way that like Oliver Stone or John Alveson is. Does Lloyd Kaufman deserve to be held in higher regard than he is? He does because he worked in the Hollywood bullshit, saw the way to cut through the Hollywood bullshit, and give people exactly what they fucking wanted. I I have to like wonder, like because he he's. The Lloyd Kaufman character and the Lloyd Kaufman person, person are... are probably different things, and I don't want to like say that like he's. I'm sure he's probably happy because he's he's had a successful career, but I have to think that he probably is probably not the life that he probably intended to have. No, nobody goes who graduated from Yale imagines they will create a horror exploitation empire. 
Well, I mean, this said ex- W. Bush, but he meant it in real life. No. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but I mean, like he's been uber successful. I mean, like we pointed out, like Troma is the longest running independent film company in the United States. That's an achievement in of itself. I mean, thirty, like I mean, almost forty years of consistent movies and a absolute rabid fan base. Absolutely. Like, can you like the, the only thing I can say that like that I can parallel this with. It's like fans of a band. Like Troma is like the, is like Anvil, the band Anvil. Like they're the the fucking <laughs> yes. the people who love Anvil love them more than anything. And I like, didn't need a documentary to remind me about fucking Anvil. Yeah, we have Sleepaway Camp too. Unhappy Campers <laughs> to remind us. God damn it! But that he's inspired people in a way that like oh and i hate to use like jim jones as a reference but like he's like the jim jones of filmmaking that he's he's like he he's like a cult leader in a, in a lot of ways and i mean that in a positive way he will never have you drink the flip poison flavor aid he wants to <laughs> inspire new filmmakers and not kill a bunch of people in guyana <laughs> but yeah i mean i get what you're saying there is a cult of personality built around him and his like public like you said there's probably a public L- lloyd coffin and a private lloyd coffin well, i mean that's true of like any uh, like they any... both did a lot of cocaine in the 80s i can almost guarantee that well it was the 1980s and if you weren't doing it you were a nerd the only reason i didn't bring coke tonight is because i don't didn't want to commit a felony and drive with it and it's, if Brandon it's, was cool, he'd have a coke dealer, but we do, he doesn't. Oh fuck it, we're gonna go. We're gonna play ding dong ditch until we find somebody, and we're gonna beat their or carcasses. I'm cool with that too. <laughs> that makes you a superhero, yeah, exactly, <laughs> or a supervillain. Like one unde- undeniable thing, um, Lloyd Kaufman and Trauma should ac- absolutely be commended for giving up and like giving a platform for like up and coming talent to shine. Now, I've compiled a list of actors who got their start working directly at Troma or worked on movies that Troma released later on. So we have James Gunn, uh, top of the world directing-wise. Fixing to do the new Suicide Squad, going to come back with Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Director of one of my favorite kind of theatrical flops, but Sliver. Dude, Sliver is so good. Sliver. Sliver, yeah. So good. Slither. Sliver is the one where Sharon Stone masturbates. Slither. Slither. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry. We're drunk people because we have to be because we love you. Yes. With Michael Rooker and um, the, with, with, the, with the chick from Four Year Old Virgin. Who, Elizabeth Banks. Yes. Elizabeth Banks. And Nathan yes. Fillion. Great movie. Great, Great movie. movie. Uh, John Brennan, who uh, thankfully was nice enough to give us a um, you know that piece of audio you heard earlier in the podcast thank you so much thank John. you uh, Carmen Electra terrible actress Tim titties fucking, though fucking hot back in the day Billy Bob Thornton who is in the uh, the wow I didn't know that one he's in zombie chicks uh, from uh, what's it called uh, fuck uh, zombie chicks in chopper town or something like that wow yeah uh, Vanna White, who is in Graduation Day, I believe. Uh, Michael Jai White, who's in uh, Toxie 2. Or, uh, Toxie yes. 2. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who we're actually we're going to talk about a little bit later on, so table that. Uh, Paul Sorvino, Trey Parker, and Matt Stone, who... Uh, they re- Cannibal the Musical. Yeah, they released their first film. They also are in... Uh, are they in Terra Firmer? 
They're in one, uh, they or might. is it Tromeo and Juliet? They're in one of those movies. Um, they play hermaphrodites, and um, yes. boy, that was controversial. Not until any time soon. <laughs> uh, Samuel L. Jackson, J.J. Abrams, and Kevin Costner. Um, all of these people probably would never give Lloyd Kaufman, or at least most of them wouldn't give like Lloyd Kaufman a second thought as far as like his importance to their career. But James Gunn, thankfully, has been a huge cheerleader for trauma. Fuck yeah, yes. What a lot of you might there you may not know is that. I almost interned for trauma. I didn't know that myself. Yeah, this has been this has been kind of like a, a sore spot in my life. So I'll just tell you the story. So there was a thing in two thousand one you may be familiar with um, called the the uh, two thousand one nine eleven. Do you remember remember when that happened? I do. Um, so I'll never forget. When I was I was a junior in high school, but I was looking into like you know what's going to be my my next step and. I wanted to go to film school. I wanted to like to do something, um, but I didn't really, I didn't really want to like learn film. I just wanted to be involved with film one way or another. And the '90s was this wonderful time where trauma was on top of the world. Now the internet happened, and yeah. suddenly you could go to a thing called a website, and you could like send emails to people. And I applied, and I got accepted into the you know the program for trauma to be an intern oh shit unpaid of that, course there's, yes. there's the asterisk right there yeah. and then 9-11 happened and uh, between september and may when i graduated um i pretty much had been talked out of going by my parents and i had a few thousand dollars saved up probably not enough to like sustain myself you on, could have sucked dick in a street corner, man. This is trauma. It would have. It, it may have been worth it. I don't know, but like I wanted to go. I wanted to go so bad, and and it's been one of those things that's like stuck with me over the years. Like, man, like I would my life have been different had I had I gone. Like, we spoke about John Brennan. John Brennan worked his way up from like mopping, you know, the floors and cleaning the toilets, and like got to like direct and produce movies for trauma. Like that's, it's the system they have. Like you, you stick it out and like, they're like, all right, you've, you've shown yourself Here's worthy. A paycheck now. now here, now go make a fucking make terrible a, movie. You know what? You know, with your skill set now, you probably have more of a chance. You need to just save up everything. And, uh, you, your dream's not dead. I, I, You're I need, the artistic need, director of Ripley's Haunted. I need, I need to, <laughs> You have a skill set directly involved in what they do. That's you know that's true. I guess I guess you have a point. I believe in you. I'm saying that the the field of uh, people applying for such a position is probably more dense now than it was then. I'll murder them. Okay, well that that clears out half the path right there. There's your there's your screenplay also when you get ready. You know, <laughs> my friend murdered people so I could get a job at Trauma. Um. Yeah, I I I've regretted it, and um, when I didn't end up going, uh, I was faced with a crossroads. Well, what do I do now? And that's how I ended up doing graphic design. You know, I got a degree in graphic design, and I still had it in my back pocket. Like I'm going to learn how to design Photoshop and stuff because I want to do covers for Trauma, and obviously that never happened. But um, I have to say, and this is not a knock on trauma, 
but I'm better than the people that you have working for you. Damn right. So, he do it for free, too. I, I will not do it for free. I will do it for next to free. $5 and an <laughs> autograph from Lloyd Coppin. He'll make you a cover to whatever movie. <laughs> I'll do that once, and then you're going to start paying me. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I do have that bug at my ass. That, like, I feel like, man, like, the opportunity could have been there. And I probably would have ended up in dire straits and, you know, and like homeless. Suck a dick on the street corner. Sucking dicks on the street corner. Hey, you never know. Maybe you could have, like, sold drugs or something. <sighs> Man. You could I live the dream. I don't know. Rudy right, Giuliani gonna, cleaned up New York during that time. We're going to do a quarter shot to your broken dreams. All right, we're gonna, a, short, a shot to all of you out there who had the opportunity to work for trauma and then turned it down, which I'm sure is like Not thousands of people. I would have been a great monkey to put horrible makeup on and run around like a jackass, but I have no artistic that's, skills. That's like half of our friendship right that's there. True. Like back in the day, making like yep. movies. Listen, we'll talk more about Lloyd as we continue the retrospective, but one contributing factor to my enduring love for the Toxic Avenger lies with one of its stars, Mark Torgel as Melvin so the Mock Boy. Now, he doesn't have an extensive career acting. Um, he's actually been doing more acting as of late. So let's, uh, let's you know, shine our lights to the, the movie gods above and, and hope that he gets more work. Um, he did a... Actually, he acted in Lloyd Kaufman's uh, film, a, a film called The First Turn-On. Yet again, I've never seen it. Yeah. But uh, he evidently made an impression enough to get a role in this film. And he also returned for the role of Melvin in Citizen Toxie, although he plays the version evil of Melvin. Evil Melvin. Most recently, uh, everything has come full circle, and in 2017, he had his uh, film life kind of mesh with his like real life, and he made the movie Toxic Tutu. Have you seen Toxic Tutu? No, Tutu? I have not. Now I want to, though. Okay, so... The reason I know about Toxic Tutu is our good friend now, uh, friend of the podcast, Darcy the Mail Girl. She has a uh, small role in this film, and prior to her like uh, being involved with the podcast, uh, I had seen uh, that she was involved with this movie. It's like, I'm going to watch it. It's on Tubi, and I think on Amazon Prime. I fucking love Tubi. I know, Shout right? out to Tubi and their horror selection. But... It's sort of like a meta film about how Mark didn't pursue acting, but it ties back into the Toxic Avenger and that, like, even though it's a movie, there's also some real-life connections with uh, the Toxic Waste, and it's a really, really low-budget movie, so I wouldn't recommend this to, like, your average common clave kind of person, but if you like trauma movies, like, you gotta watch this. I'm gonna go home and watch it tonight. It's It's... It's the connective tissue, like, it may be, like, uh, financially, like, a smidge below, but, come on, if you love Mark Torgel, you gotta watch this movie, and, yet again, I can not thank Mark enough for doing that awesome introduction at the top of this episode. He did that for free, and, uh, just so everybody knows, like, he charges for interviews and stuff, but because I was so nice to him, evidently, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do you a favor, and I'm gonna do this introduction for free. So, thank you, Mark, so much for, uh, you know, curtailing the whole financial yes. aspect, because we are not making any fucking money. Yeah, this is, this he podcast. does this for nothing, but I just want to say, when Brandon told me he got that intro, I was, like, super, 
super fucking excited. Yeah, um, this has kind of been on the <coughs> short list for a while, and I just knew it was the time. I knew it was time. And the reason I knew it was time, also, earlier in the podcast, you heard from our good buddy TJ Bowser, ProjectLouder.net. And when he and our good friend Mick Strawn on the great podcast rabbit hole did their halloween episode about their top 10 favorite movies and i can't remember if it was actually in tj's top 10 or if it was one of his honorable mentions but he talked about how much he loved the toxic avenger and after listening to that episode i was like man oh my god i want to do the toxic avenger on this podcast so fucking bad so he lit the fucking dynamite on the origin of all this so thank you tj thank you mark like everything came perfectly colliding together to make everything uh, perfect for this episode. But back to Toxic Tutu. It's, it's streaming on Tubi, uh, Vudu, Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free. Um, I watched it back during the lockdown, and I enjoyed it. But like I said before, if you're not a hardcore trauma fan, this is probably not the movie for you. But it's, it's worth at least one view if you are. Uh, one of the many reasons you haven't heard haven't heard from Mark, you know, in a cinematic sense, uh, is because he's super busy behind the scenes working as an editor. Uh, most recently, he worked in the editorial department on the game show Funny You Should Ask. Um, he did 130 episodes of that, and I had never heard of this show, but evidently it's uh, back before. Um, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Tell me something he's in. Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, he's in all of... Uh, fuck. Uh, he was in uh, that new uh, space movie, or space show, <laughs> fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about on Netflix with uh, Steve Carell. He plays his dad. Fuck. Well, I can't oh, Fred it. Willard. Fred Willard. It was one of the last things Fred Willard did. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. And it's just kind of an improv comedy kind of thing, and uh, evidently it's really good. So go check that out. And not to discredit any of his work, uh, it's impressive to have a career in the business, you know, but because it's so cutthroat, I, I definitely respect him, but that's not why everybody tuned in today. No. You want to hear about Melvin the Mop Boy. Fucking Melvin. Aesthetically, is there anybody in the universe, living, dead, or otherwise, who would have been better at playing this role? No. No, 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 no. I was watching that today with with a critical eye. And, like, his just constant dumb, vacant look and, like, the random weird horniness when he sees something, <laughs> like, sexy and just constantly stressed and, uh, and angst-ridden and just still optimistic. He's perfect. He is fucking perfect. Melvin is the quintessential movie nerd maybe only slightly eclipsed by the cast of revenge of the nerds and i mean i'm being generous and they're rapists they 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 are rapists they are rapists <laughs> that's a great movie by the way <laughs> it really is but oh uh, the 80s were not woke listen mark is so perfect as the butt of our antagonist joke but for whatever reason he wasn't cast as melvin in the toxic avenger 2 or 3 with the role going to a gentleman by the name of Michael J. Kaplan. So my question to you, should Mark have been in the sequel? Yes, and I think that's one of the reasons Citizen Toxie apologizes for the previous sequel. Well, even even like Lloyd has sort of said, like, Citizen Toxie is like the the true sequel. The true sequel, 
yeah. And I, I love Toxie 2 and 3. I but... do too. Like I said, I watched them all three back to back. So they're all inextricably linked. And it led me to Sergeant Kabuki yeah. Man NYPD. Oh, which is so good. It isn't even just that he was recast. The character of Melvin was changed. In the first movie, he's known as Melvin Ferd. But in the sequels, well, in yeah, two, maybe and, two and three, and I can't remember, in the, maybe even in Citizen Toxie, he's Melvin yeah. Junko for, for unknown reasons. Probably because um, he lives in a toxic waste dome. I guess, but that, I don't know, that's very, it's, it's weak, that's but... very on the nose. But it can always cause a disconnect for me. Like, sequels aside, Mark's contribution to the original film, there is just plentiful. Although he doesn't really have a lot of screen time, to be honest with you, but every moment he is on screen is absolutely memorable. So, he, you kind of touched on it, but like the, the moments where like he he's like uh, they're they're around the pool and like the hot tubs and stuff, and he's just like mopping up the areas, and he's like sticking the mop in the hot tub, and and just his like you know like gleeful stare at like the sex going on around him, like this is great stuff. Um, and I alluded to it before, but we got to talk about it. The scene where he catches Slug and Wanda having sex. He he walks up he walks up on them and he has this like oh my god like I'm experiencing a boner for the first time kind of Pretty reaction much. to him and he has this um gleefulness that is immediately cut off. He's like, Hey, what are you doing, motherfucker? And then she's like, Hey, I'll cut you because she puts out the yeah. knife and stuff. He's he's so good in the like the meek um I can't even say he's the everyman, but he does no. he does sort of represent the the blooming the trodden upon the, the, the disaffected. But he's the he's the blooming sexuality of every thirteen year old oh, who yes. ever saw this movie. And like even though like I am leaps and bounds different than the Melvin character, in that moment there is a solidarity, you know. You get it. You totally I, I, get I absolutely it. get it. Um my favorite scenes uh, involves the character of Julie setting up Melvin for humiliation, but we can't just talk about it. We're going to have to have a rants recreation. Uh, yes. So, Fat Tony, if you would be so kind to read the role of Melvin. I'd love to play Melvin. Julie! Hi, Melvin. Hey, Julie! Come on in. Don't be shy. So what was it you wanted me to help you with? Well, it's about Bozo. Bozo? You see, I'm so sick of the way he goes around pushing people around all the time. He's so immature. In fact, I don't like to go out with him anymore. But I don't know quite how to tell him. In fact, Melvin, I think you're handsome and sensitive. And kind. Oh, Melvin, I find you irresistible. Who, me? Yes, Melvin. I want to do it with you. Do it? Do it. Do what? Do it, Melvin. Do it. Do it, okay. Wait a minute. I have a great idea, Melvin. We'll go down by the pool, and afterwards, we can take a cool dip. All right. There's one little thing, Melvin. You're not wearing pink. Pink? It's my favorite color. I have my pink on, 
So I brought this for you. Julie hands Melvin a pink tutu. But this is sissy stuff! No, Melvin. Pink makes me so hot. <laughs> if you put on your pink, I'll take off my pink. <laughs> I love pink! <laughs> For your consideration, the Academy. So... All these shenanigans lead Melvin to kissing a sheep, wearing a red bra, and a wig. You're so soft, is all I can remember. Yeah, you want to talk about this sheep? Yes. This sheep, first off, he has a, he might not have been with a woman, but he has eyes, and he knows what skin versus (laughs) wool feels like. So that took me out of the movie completely, and I just lost it. No. I love it, but... He was kissing and loving on a lice-infested sheep. A legit lice-infested sheep. They didn't find out until after filming that scene. Well, this all leads to basically the the origin, uh, the origin story of how Melvin becomes the Toxic Avenger. So he's chased, you know, by the whole, like, members of the the (laughs) health club laughing at him because he's been humiliated. And he runs and falls out of a window into a vat of, or a barrel, rather, of toxic waste. So we have to talk about the two guys who who have led this truck up to this. To take a giant cocaine break with giant baggies with, like, a half ounce each of cocaine, which even in the 80s is expensive as fuck. But, you know, it's the 80s. The truck drivers made good money back then, I guess. That's I, true. Well, especially and, you if, you're, if you're hauling off toxic waste, you're probably making, like, you know, like, common half. money. So, <laughs> that's true. And, you know, what better place to stop with your radioactive <laughs> uh, toxic waste you're not supposed to wrap around populated areas than the middle of town to do a coke break, you know? Any sane person would do it. Well, it's 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 so fucking on the nose ridiculous because <laughs> the barrels aren't even secured to anything. <laughs> there's just a flatbed truck, and there's like you know twelve of them. They're just kind of hobbling around, and they they just happen to stop, and he falls in, and that whole sequence is just fucking magic. If he can't take a joke, then. <laughs> He he's faking it. He's faking it. If he take it, take a joke, then he's oh man. It's it's great villain dialogue from from Bozo there to Julie about you know like you know he's he's he's, he's fucking faking. But everything that happens beyond that, because you know Melvin's legs are like you know flailing Damn, out yeah. from the barrel, and uh, when he's like on the ground, like the cop comes up to him and like. He wants to like hold hands, like you know, pick yeah. him up with his hand or whatever, and his hand <laughs> catches on fire. fire, and then he catches on fire. In which, for a low budget production, that's an impressively long burn take. Um, the special effects are surprisingly good for a movie made for not even a million dollars, yeah. not even a half, half a million, million dollars. Man. These effects are fucking terrific, and it's all like just you know, like bla- you know, bladders under the yeah. prosthetics and stuff, and the bubbling skin. But it's just the it's the editing, it's the acting, and the special effects all in tandem, like really work freaking well. My one knock against this is when he becomes the Toxic Avenger after he's like taking the bath and everything is. 
the screen goes negative because it, yeah. I almost feel like they they didn't really know what to do there to like convey a change and like you show the film negative and it's almost like a like a a radiation kind of effect. I don't it's know. Kind of a trope maybe from like the fifties and sixties exploitation kind of sci-fi uh, movies that could have been building on. You're probably right, but I, I feel like that's the one part of the movie. Like they probably could have left that out and it probably would have been a little more streamlined. Less, I think, even though this is a movie that throws everything up against the screen, a little less right there would have probably been a little more. Um, the scene where Melvin soaks in the in the bathtub was actually directed by Mark himself. In addition to the special effects makeup, which took six hours to apply to him. And by the way, he looks fucking tremendous. It's great. So gross. Um it, it became stuck to his skin because, you know, sweating in it. And, I heard about this, yeah. And, and I, as somebody who works with, with latex and makeup on a daily basis, what you don't understand is that stuff is not meant to be worn for hours on, on time. And, and I wear it for, like, you know, an entire eight, nine, ten hour shift. And, like, sometimes that shit just doesn't want to come off. So he had to be taken to the local YMCA <laughs> and soaked under the showers to get the shit off of him. That's crazy, but yeah. Absolutely insane. Um, with Melvin succumbing to his gross metamorphosis, he would be reborn as the most violent yet lovable superhero in cinema history, the Toxic Avenger. However, it would take not one, but two men to portray New Jersey's favorite hero. First up, we have Mitch Cohen as the body of the Toxic Avenger. You may also know him from Citizen Toxie. Not as Toxie, but as Lucifer. He also has a small role in Kevin Smith's Clerks. He's just like a person in the background. Um, Kenneth Kessler uh, plays the role of Toxie, who is also the voice of another trauma semi-icon in the Monster from Monster in the Closet. That's actually back here on the... uh, on the wall of movies here in the Black Lodge someplace. Uh, I love I love the movie uh, a good deal. Um, it's it's right somewhere there. there. Yeah, there right the there, right there, yeah. Um, there, here, it's, it's almost bad to even come to this conclusion, but um, being that we have two actors contributing to the same role, it begs the question, who is more responsible for the overall performance of Toxie? So we have Mitch versus Kenneth. Mitch, he's both menacing in the horror scenes and lovably goofy in the montages. Um, the part where he's uh, eating the pile of eggs yes. and uh, wearing the road cone as a hat, which just makes me laugh yeah. every time I see it. Um, the dancing scene with Sarah is my absolute favorite thing in the entire movie because that is something straight out of like a 1990 sitcom. Like that's so full house, but I don't think they would have had so much ass grabbing in Full House. Probably He's got not. his hands right on there. Probably not. Probably not. But it was still but sweet. But where they're dancing the jig independently yeah. of one another, that is something straight out of a fucking like TGIF Friday night sitcom, but poking fun at like how unoriginal and ridiculous that yes. is. Um, Kenneth, um, I got to say, I, I really hated the dubbing. Oh, my God. As a kid, but now... As an adult, I don't know. It kind of it kind of makes the character for me. His line delivery is like straight out of like a Superman radio play from like the nineteen forties. Let 1940s. me help you. Yes, <laughs> very dramatic. So like, um, 
so what do you who do you think uh, of Mitch and Kenneth? Like who the body or the voice? Who's more important to the the talk? It's, I'm not going to pick. It's both. It is it like you said as as a kid, the dubbing is weird and kind of even off putting. But as as you grow up and see it again and and make sense of even. It made me laugh every yes, time. Yes, every time. And, and as time, a kid, I didn't get I didn't get that that was what they were going yes. for. It just like wow, this is really bad. And it was like years later that you know TNT would constantly show Japanese you know kaiju movies and Godzilla yeah. and stuff. And I kind of picked up like okay, well maybe that's what they were kind of harping on. But it didn't gel with me. In like 1990, but by yeah. you know 1998, I'm like, oh my god, I fucking love this. So it's hard for me to to pick one or the other. Um, and as much as I hate to discredit, I think the physicality of Mitch, oh yeah, adds a little bit more. Um, because uh, spoiler, but um, they're both recast going forward. Yeah. But to me. Mitch is the defining toxie of all the toxies. Um, and it's just his spastic um, fucking movements. Um, regardless, Toxie's aesthetic is very cleverly obstructed through most of the movie. Lloyd Kaufman does an incredible job of building suspense to what Toxie actually looks like, fully transformed. Um, shooting Toxie from, like, you know, the back, casting shadow, or having, like, foreground objects, like, blocking his face and stuff. But he's finally revealed during the showdown with Wanda, which uh, I was absolutely not disappointed. Um, we'll talk about that a little later on. Um, Toxie's aesthetic. Um, this is almost like proto-Toxie, I guess, because yeah. he definitely evolves in the sequels. Well, it's like it's like Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, he became something massively different than what he started at. You're you're right. You're you're right. Um, the thing I will say positively about this movie and and slightly negatively about the sequel, even though I prefer the look of Toxie in the later movies, this is not a mask. It's, exactly. It's, it's makeup appliances. It has a lot more mobility. So when he's speaking, even though he is dubbed, yes. the mouth moves a little more naturally. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like the asymmetry of the character and the inclusion of the mop and tutu is like oddly cathartic. It really is. Um, that is holding true to his roots. I, I, I grew up hugely, hugely a fan of comic books and I, um, specifically superheroes. And I'm, I'm guessing probably you to a lesser extent. I know you like, you're a comic book fan. Yeah. Like, I like uh, the DC vertigo stuff. Uh, uh, Hellblazer. Hellblazer, Sandman, Preacher. I, mean, I have a Doctor Doom tattoo on my left arm. I, I'm like a entrenched comic book person. So there's something about, even though like as stupid as it can be, the mop and the tutu have a, like a general, a genuine like purpose from the origin of like him dispersing his justice. It is, it's ridiculous because he literally mops up. Exactly. He literally mops up <laughs> and cleans up the trash of Tromaville. But I don't know. It, it works for me. And I don't know that it would work for me in, in a comic book, but in like on, on film and it, it just it adds a level of ridiculousness but also it's also kind of satisfying in a um, 
Well, it gives you the superhero uniform. You're, you know, you talked about loving comics growing up. They all have their signature uniforms. You yeah, know? your uniform or weapon, and the tutu. Like, it, I mean, it's like gross and burnt out, and and there are parts of the movie where you can't even tell it's there. But when it's there, it's so obvious and and wonderfully ridiculous. Um, there is kind of a. Uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera kind of quality to it as well. I, I don't know. I, I think that there there's more to this than just surface level ridiculousness. As much as I just want to say it's fun for the sake of fun, there there was a little bit of thought put into like why is he doing this? Why is because he could easily change his clothes? It isn't like it's like yeah. I mean he's melted and gross, but I mean he the could, people he, making this new superhero iconography they were kind of going. Maybe I don't even know about originally the original intent, but it became a superhero. He was cleaning up the town. He was just and superheroes have their uniforms. He's just he's he's, he's, a, he's a step beyond the Punisher because you know the Punisher will kill people. And he's shooting them like he's putting them out of their misery quick. He's not like torturing people, ripping out their guts. He's he's torturing people to get information, but. But fucking Toxie is fucking people up. Toxie gonna fuck you up, yeah. Uh, um, Toxie has become the symbol and the mascot for Troma. Like, he's the Mickey Mouse yeah. of Troma. So I found it kind of odd when the news broke that another company was pursuing a remake. How do you feel about the potentiality of a Toxic Avenger remake not by Troma? As I said, I don't know if I said this on mic with you or off mic, if it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Deadpool and Hardcore. <laughs> no, like, I don't know. It probably, they'll probably poorly imitate the humor and try to make the visuals a little more flashy. Even if it's low budget, they'll still try to, like, do it like, we're going to hide a little bit that this is a low budget movie. I will watch it and give it a chance, unlike you with Evil uh, Dead. You, you shouldn't know. It's a remake question. But no, seriously, I don't think it will live up. It might. I mean, I, I've been pleasantly surprised before. I, Evil Dead. Uh, I just, but here, here's the thing, though. Like, this is... Evil Dead is a horror film. But it's not attached to any production company or any other things beside itself. Exactly. And this is such a... It's like Mickey Mouse in a Fox movie. Which, well, okay, Mickey Mouse in a Columbia? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know who Disney doesn't own anymore. I get what you're saying. It it just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. And I know that, like, they've had to have signed off for this to even be a possibility. So my hope is that if this happens... That Wood Kaufman is going to have some kind of say in like the direction of it, but let's just be honest. Like the era of like getting away with anything you does there, not exist anymore. There are straight up things in this movie we cannot say. If if this was a direct to video movie, they could probably yeah, and that's gutter the, balls. I mean, that's a good example of what get you get away, away with. They could probably get away with a lot, but if they're doing a theatrically released no. movie, they're going to have to cut this thing down. And we actually have a question about this later, so I want to table this okay, discussion we'll table. for a little a little later on. But um, um, a lot of people who find it strange, uh, would find it strange for me to classify the Toxic Avenger as a holy cow. Uh, but I think a remake 
is blasphemy. Unless, and hear me out, James Gunn directs it. That would be fucking amazing. If it has to be someone in, in someone else's hands, let it be with someone who got their start in trauma. However, this argument of leaving well enough alone, well, it has been shared by Lloyd Kaufman himself in the past, being that he deeply regretted Toxic Avenger 2 and 3, but eventually made good with Citizen Toxie, which is an awesome movie, by the way. It we really we both really enjoy it. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, Mitch appeared in Citizen Toxie as Lucifer, but Elephant in the Room, why didn't Mitch ever reprise the role of Toxie in any of the sequels? Now, reportedly, he was cast in Part 2, but he kind of showed up with an inflated ego, and they parted ways very quickly. It's a shame, because I personally feel that like Toxie has, has been close, but never quite right since the first movie. Um, so my question to you, should Mitch have continued to be Toxie or was it best to kind of avoid the prima donna shit? I get why Lloyd Kaufman did it. Um, I'd say it is... My, I, I agree with you. Best in the first. Good in the, I like the sequel. I enjoy both two and three. But it's off. But this isn't so much a one-to-one like recasting Freddy and Nightmare 2. No, it's it's not. But, you know, and thankfully, I, I think overall it was a positive thing. So you can't have the backup of some asshole, because Lloyd Kaufman's not going to spend a penny more than he has to. These are very utilitarian films. Yes. You know, get, shoot it and, and move Find on. a tall guy, throw him in the fucking mask. And that's not always the best thing, but... No, I mean... I don't think Toxic is, and for the record, I don't think Toxic is bad in any of the sequels. No. But Toxic in the first movie has a life to him that I think is somewhat missing from the sequels. I get and that. that's some coming from somebody who loves all of the movies, especially the fourth one. But we'll move on. Um, a hero is only as good as his opposition in the Toxic Avengers Rogues Gallery <laughs> is nasty and violent as any other. So let's check out the villains of the Toxic Avenger. Now we're going to relegate this uh, subsect entirely to Bozo's crew, and then we'll talk about the mayor later on. Um, first up, we have Gary Schneider as Bozo. Now you may remember him as Pete in the class of Newcomb High. Bozo is hilariously cast for reasons no stronger than the movie just needs him to be evil. <laughs> You're stressing <laughs> me out, man. You're stressing me out. I love him. He's there's very bare a bare minimum of character. He's a caricature, but he's so enjoyably evil. Um, sometimes sometimes you don't need a fully fleshed out character. No, you this just, is schlock. This is elevated schlock, but it is schlock. So you need actually you don't you don't need an in depth villain with character and motivation. You need the over-the-top, I'm-just-gonna-do-coke, smoke weed, and run over children in the street. We're gonna talk about the hit-and-run scene uh, when we get to our victims portion, and trust me, I have a lot to say about that. Um, But Bozo's exploits are crazy just beyond the murder. So, my favorite scene with Bozo is the racquetball scene. You know the scene I'm talking about? You're gonna watch me hit it! Watch me hit it! I'm gonna hit it! But... It's great because you have Mark Torgel as Melvin, who's just like leering at them, face pressed, pressed, into pressed the glass against the, the glass, and 
<laughs> and of course, you know, they hit the you know the ball against the wall and it scares him and stuff. But there, there's a very choreographed move in this scene that like just kind of sums up the playfulness of trauma, probably more so than like the nastiness where they kind of all put their heads together to come up with the the plot to do what they do to Melvin and the girls shake their ass shaking their ass so. in, in you know in, in tandem and there was something about that watching it back this week that was like you know what that's fucking poetic and I can't explain to you why it's poetic I, it. I don't but, I couldn't but, explain it but it was such a nice little touch cuz it could have been it's going to have been a really flat scene of just like exposition I don't know and then that little flourish looking through the camera say hey get those asses in shape it, it made it made it made the fucking um moment for me but you have these other things too like they're just peppered enough to give him enough little character to show he's unhinged um he's doing uh, like, uh, he's doing like, he's at the weight bench, I think. And, uh, slug and wander kind of like, uh, you know, watching him count and stuff. And he's like, yeah, you can, you're looking kind of fat. That's the press machine. He's pressing. Thing, yeah. 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 And, um, he's like, I got no fat on me. And then like, he kind of pinches his skin and he's like, Oh, fat. <laughs> and then he goes, it goes a little nuts. I thought that was kind of enjoyable. So, um, that kind of ties back into the original idea of it being, you know, these health nuts working at a health spa. You know, oh. I liked that. Um, but at the same time, this being the 80s, uh, you also have a scene where it's him and Slug and they're doing um, sit ups and they're passing a cigarette between them. That's themselves. a joint, sir. Oh, is it a Mar- Okay. Brandon doesn't have a lot of experience with weed. That is a. That is a <laughs> marijuana cigarette or jazz cabbage <laughs> i apologize i apologize it was a smokable unit that they yes. were passing with each other all the point being is that i found that uh, enjoyably ridiculous but polluting their body as they try to good like <laughs> yeah, make it fit i i really enjoy that like what's your assertion with with bozo like, i fucking love buzz he's messing with my karma she's stressing me out this is stressing everything's stressing him out and his hit and run game with the rules we can't even say on we, screen. We will we will discuss okay, in a in a truncated version <laughs> later on. I have to say, like, but like, he's just fucking great. But my favorite, one of my favorite jokes in schlock movie history involves a sidekick. We'll get to that later. So uh, second up, we have Slug, who's played by Robert Pritchard. You may remember Robert as Spike in the class of Newcomb High. Uh, Slug is portrayed uh, not as, like, outwardly evil as Bozo, so don't get me wrong, he kills in cold blood just as much as anybody else, but he's played a little more, kind of a second banana to Bozo. Mellower. A little more mellower. Um, Some of his more memorable moments are strictly played for comedy, so... I'm sure this is probably a, a leftover from the comedy uh, script that they written originally about it being a health club. But there's the effeminate guy who's who's teaching the the jazz step oh, class, yeah. and he puts a snake down his. Um, and he's like, "Follow me, do exactly as I do," and, he and then he, out. And he spazzes out, and everybody does the same thing. Like that was just that's just classic. Of uh, sex comedy, 1980s stuff, and then they murder old ladies for their car. Let me get to the point. So I, I tell my one of my favorite jokes of all time in a, in an exploitation movie. Do it. Oh, it's where they're out doing their hit and run, which we'll talk about later. He's like, "Come on, let's go get another one." I can't. I got to get up early. 
I gotta you know, go to church. I gotta go to church. <laughs> Everybody's cool. Oh, okay, yeah. That's why he has he has the love of Jesus in his heart. That's why he's more mellow. <laughs> oh man, and it, that I think that goes back to my point of like um, this movie uh, t- intentionally tries to offend everybody. everybody, and and I think that's one of the the reasons that it is had lasting power it's kind of like the south park of its time exactly in that like it's not like it doesn't have a uh a vindictiveness in its like attacks it's just like here's the fucking gamut and we are going to run down all of it um during pre-production i don't know if you knew about this but vincent d'onofrio was cast to I play the role um of bozo I know we're going back to this. Um, however, prior to filming, D'Onofrio asked for a slight pay raise, and he was fired from the film. Now, there seems to be some conjecture, and the reason I'm putting this in the uh, the slug section is evidently when they offered him less money, there are some people say, well, would you play the role of slug for less money? And he turned that down. So uh, he was almost two different characters in this movie, and for whatever reason, you know, they weren't able to afford him. Which is, I love Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh yeah, absolutely. And can you imagine a coked out 1980s Vincent D'Onofrio running over people with a car? Like that sounds. Fucking I came tremendous. a little just now. Just that thinking sounds about it. tremendous. Um. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, like uh, Slug, like uh. It, uh, beyond that, like I, I mean, you know, he's the one getting his dick wet in the club. Good on him. Uh, apparently, he has good taste in film. You know, loving David Lynch's Elephant Man. Uh, <laughs> he does. They do reference that. They uh, do. But the, again, he has the my favorite joke in almost any exploitation movie. <laughs> I got to get up early. I got to go to church, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah!" Right after they murdered a child. <laughs> Um, his, uh, lady friend, uh, by the name of Wanda is playing by, uh, Jennifer Baptist. You may remember... Probably Baptiste. Baptiste. Yes. Uh, you may remember Jennifer as Miss Stein in Class Newcomb High. You're starting to see a pattern here, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? Um, her bare breast may be the first set I ever saw. Now, I'm, I'm not definitively 100% sure about this. But it has to be within the the very first, um, and but specifically, her breast had an incredible impact on my life, probably more so than like any other breast ever. Um, the first handful of times, I didn't pick up on her being that I saw this movie. I didn't pick up on her being sexually turned on by murder and the violence, <laughs> but. Watching as an adult, as an adult, like man, they, like they pretty they hammered this home pretty fucking hard. She's it's, masturbating to Kitty snuff porn Polaroids. In her locker, you can see a newspaper <coughs> clipping that says "Hit and Run Killers Strike Again." As she's getting worked up of the thought of murder, she's like, "Oh, slug, you gotta take me out next time you and Bozo go out. You know, I wanna, I wanna go and like uh, let you, uh, you know, get me all hot and bothered so I can watch these." These you know fucking things going on, and then we yeah. can fuck, and you know I can look at the Polaroids. Oh, the reds are so red; it gets me so hot. Oddly enough, 
pretending to be horny <laughs> for murder with her co-star somehow must have worked. I don't know if you're aware of this, but her and um, uh, Robert Pritchard ended up getting married, and they were married for several years. So their love affair on screen became real. It's heart, so heartwarming. I know it's heartwarming. <laughs> running over children and fucking uh, masturbating to, uh, Polaroids, to Polaroids of dead children. Like <coughs> uh, it, it wasn't meant to be though. This was this was lust. It was it wasn't love. It was cocaine. It was the eighties. <laughs> oh man! Like I, I, Wanda to me is like the and. She's the perfect 1980s bitch, maybe only seconded by our, prob- arguably the a real villain of the movie, uh, Jennifer uh, or sorry uh, Cindy Mannion, who plays the role of Julie. She does play, or is she the hero? Because without her, there would be no Toxic Avenger. Oh, that's or a, the monster hero in th- this movie. That is a weird way to look at it. Um, Oddly enough, her connections uh, beyond the Toxic Avenger don't lie in trauma. She was in a Brian De Palma film with uh, John Travolta, who was in Perfect with Jamie Lee Curtis, who was in Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd. You just got busted three times. That movie is called Perfect. I don't know if you've ever aware of it, but it is. It's kind of like the non. Uh, exploitation version of this movie about people doing exercise and like you ever seen like that there's a, a iconic picture of Jamie Lee Curtis wearing like oh, yeah, yeah. Ex- exercise gear that's from this movie wow well there you go she's she's also in that movie and um, I don't know if she has any speaking lines or anything probably she's not. probably like slut number two in the, yeah. in the background but all, all the same She'll always be slut number one in my heart. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because of a men of men of a certain age, tan lines are bound to have some kind of nostalgia to them. Um, but holy damn, she has an incredible body, and those tan lines just make her boobs look even more magnificent. So, question <laughs> number one: tan lines, no tan lines. Like, do you have a nostalgic? I have a nostalgic view. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, ooh, 80s, 90s boner for me. But, you know, I have no personal preference. The only boobs for me are my the love of my life, Sarah. But, you know, if I were single, I'm not going to notice either way there's titties there. So, But wouldn't they be made better by a... I always a, like the, the tan-lined s- ass more than the tan-lined titties. Well, that's, but that's the same. It's, yeah. it's along the same I get lines. Your, I get your like for tan-lined. It's, it's almost like... like It's like the, 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 the Red Sea parted <laughs> and like, fuck, there's heaven. It's like, like it's more the, nude. Yeah, exactly. It's more nude. It. It's, it's more, more nude. nude. I don't, and I know there are people out there who like, ooh, that's disgusting. And, and, I, and it's just because They're it's, wrong. it's a generational thing. Because that's just how it was. You know, in the I'll 1980s. say another generational thing. I'm not disgusted by pubic hair either. Nowadays, provided, provided, groomed. provided, it is not like fucking, um, uh, uh, fucking Fidel Castro down there. I don't, I don't have a problem with it either. Like as long as you groom, if you keep the hedges trimmed, like that's one thing. But oh man, the 1980s were a wonderful time. They were <laughs> okay. Uh, so, since she was the mastermind of Melvin's downfall, um, I kind of feel like 
the movie kind of fucks up by not giving her a grand send-off death. Now, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about her death later on, but because she's the mastermind of all this, do you feel like they could have done a better job in like kind of centering her... Uh, she should have had the same death that the one guy in the diaper gang in Citizen Toxie has where he rams his head through his body out of his ass. Something fucking over the top, not... As it is delivered. The two, both, and we'll get to it when we cross to it, but both women get off fairly easily, and um, their their deaths are not expressly shown on screen. Well, the one in the sauna, the other chick, hers is pretty painful that you see. Yeah, but I'm saying that, like, it's not not gratuitously shown in, like, you know, like, over-the-top, like, Because their original intent was kind of wrong, I think. You know, like we talked about in one of the cuts... Well, in the Japanese cut, both Wanda and Julie survive. Fuck that version. They yeah. deserve to die. They have to die. They have to die. It makes sense. He has to destroy evil. I mean, I mean, especially in the sequels, like they really hammer home the phone, uh, the, the the fact that he senses evil and he's like compelled. The traumatons. To, you know, the traumatons. It's like I said. The uh, oh fuck the. Magic blood shit in Star Wars. Midichlorians. Midichlorians. That doesn't exist. The greatest invention George Lucas I'm gonna ever sl- invented. To I'm going to slap book. the fucking taste out of really I sure am glad they only made three Star Wars movies. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've, we've fucked around enough. Let's get to our victims. Cause that, Fuck that, that, yes. That, this movie is about the kills. It's about the violence. It's about the gore and titties. But it is about the holy shit they just did that in this movie. And by God, they do some great shit in this movie. And probably the most iconic comes at the very uh, beginning. So number one, we have Jimmy. He's run over by Bozo and his gang. Jimmy crawls after he's been hit by a car. He crawls over to his bike and they back over his head. They take Polaroids of his dead body uh, Bozo is so hyped from the murder that he's ready to do another right away. But Slug, he has to go to church the next day, as you've uh, so eloquently it. pointed out. Um, what did you give 10 this Ten out of kill? ten, man. I gave this also a ten out of ten. I'm going to do a spoiler alert. Most of the kills, on-screen kills <laughs> in this movie are going to be nines or tens. Every, pretty much everything in this movie is is memorable for one reason or yes. another. This is absolutely ridiculous. This is how you start off a movie. This, this showed the stakes. Like these people are fucking awful. They have to be eliminated. Anybody that would run over a kid for fun has to be taken care of. Yeah, like, now for like, profit, that's different. No, it's fine. For Don't run over kids, people. <laughs> um. So how they achieved this? It was a watermelon with a wig. And basically, they just you know, ran over it. Um, this is better than ninety percent of high budget effects really in, in practical or digital movies. Like, I can't say enough good about this. It's I just the fucking this, impact is so visceral. You can get away with a lot more on film back in the day than like DVD or digital or well, yeah, you couldn't get away with putting a water guts in a watermelon rollover in today's. It's age. all the way you shoot it, though. That's true. It's all the way you shoot it, and they show you just enough. Now, granted, you know, 
the 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 more progressive you get, you know, 1080p, 4K, the more it's going to stand out. But if you're watching this on DVD, it still looks fucking fantastic. And I, I watched a 1080p cut of this movie, the unrated cut, and it still looked pretty good. Now there will be a kill later on. I'm going to criticize just a hair, but I, 10 out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to talk about the hit and run game. Um, So I'm going to attempt to read off the rules of this without... um, Anthony Mefford separates himself. (laughs) These are views only from Brandon. These are not the words that Julie uses. These are the the more politically correct views. Okay. So these are the rules. Hebrews, Italians, African Americans, Asians are worth 25 points. Puerto Ricans are worth 30 points. Kids are... Under 12 are worth double points. Kid or a bicycle is 28 points, but only if you get the kid and the bicycle. Man, that's so fucked up. <laughs> the whole thing is just shocking. And, you know, it's got to be like a callback to, like, the great Roger Corman Death Race 2000. Sylvester Stallone's greatest role ever. <laughs> oh, man. I sure am uh, sad that David Carradine jacked off in a closet with a bow What a way to neck. fucking die. I know. He should have had a hand grenade. <laughs> One of my favorite exploitation movie puns. Chokes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my my favorite quote from this scene is when uh, Julie and Wanda are taking Polaroids. And she's like, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> so, really they're is. so gleeful in their evilness that... They they're they're evil and like they hammer that point home so much, but it also kind of turns back and almost to like Disney territory where it's like okay yeah, but like there's no real consequences for them doing this kind of stuff where it's like they're evil for the sake of evil, but they're they're still so much fun that you you really can't hate them. So they may have taken it taken it just a step too far no, for a serious No, there's no such movie. thing as too far. I think this movie doesn't even care. They want you to see well, that. The movie them. obviously doesn't care. But I'm speaking in terms of like general cinematic filmmaking. They made those characters probably a step likable, yeah. a likable for yeah. awful things. Um uh um Speaking of quotes, Lloyd Kaufman has a quote to say specifically about this scene. Trauma may let you down when it comes to a lot of things, but never, ever will we fuck you over when it comes to a crushed skull. God bless you, Lloyd Kaufman. We love you, Lloyd. Mr. Kaufman, I'm sorry for the familiar tone. Um, uh, Kills number two and three. So we have the character of Cigar Face and his two goons who unsuccessfully try to bribe a police officer in Shinbone Alley. Goon number one, who is Knuckles, he breaks a baseball bat over uh, the uh, his own forehand to show yeah, basically that he's, he's like tough. a tough guy. And you have goon number two, who is named Nipples, who is a transvestite who knows Kung Fu. In case you wonder, <laughs> you learn why they call Cigar Face Cigar Face when he burns the forehead of the police officer with his cigar. Um, they call the cop a, uh, a F word for uh, a derogatory term against homosexuals. Um, and he tell him that they're going to make love to him, a.k.a. blow his dick off with a pistol. Yes. Thankfully, Toxie appears and scalps goon number one, speed bag punches cigar face, backhands goon number one, uh, which case, his nose 
explodes. <laughs> I love it. Wonderfully. Um, transvestite goon attempts to uh, kung fu Toxie, but he three stooges him by shoving his fingers into his eye sockets to to a ridiculous point where I mean they're like you know in his face in the in fucking, his skull just you know gushing blood wonderfulness. Uh, Toxie picks up cigar face by his balls and slams him upside down into a metal barrel. Then he speed bag punches <laughs> his balls picks up the barrel and throws it down the alley. Um, Toxie smashes the two goons' heads together repeatedly till their brains explode, and then he mops up the mess. Cigar Face escapes and proclaims, (laughs) I'll get you for this monster F-word expletive towards homosexuals. I'm going to review I'll get you for this much! (laughs) I love it. What do you give this? 10 out of 10. Okay, no, no. I'm going to go 9 out of 10 because there's a scene coming up that he dispatches the villains in a much better way. I I gave this an 8 out of 10. It's cartoony, but it still manages to be incredibly violent. And that in of itself is fucking fantastic. So, number four. In our Mexican restaurant, which is, what's it called? The Mexican Place. The Mexican Place. So we have a patron who is shot with a shotgun by Leroy. Leroy is the uh, is aesthetically similar to uh, the baseball furies from the movie The Warriors. Um, what do you give this kill? Because the, the it's guy, a, it's a good seven and a half out of ten because it's a great one. I mean, it's bloody, he's spitting up blood. It's bad guys. But I'm gonna stop you right here with Leroy, played by actor Patrick Kirkpatrick. Hold on, I'm pulling up my notes now. Please do. I'm, I'm I went sitting with bated breath. Who was in the movie Hijack or Last Siege, colon, something else, with Ernie Hudson, who was in Ghostbusters. Oh. I just busted Brandon. Oh, my God. And fun fact, he also quit the movie after he had to point a gun at a, at a baby. Um, Did he not read the script? Or was that not in the script and that was like a choice? Like, yeah, you know what, probably. Like, like they mayhem ensues. They're not going to... <sighs> he's just soft. <laughs> he's way good. It, it adds. It's for like, the art. When you think like the movie couldn't do any worse, they point a gun at the baby. They point a gun at the baby. They didn't kill the baby. They didn't. They, they showed restraint they because they're elegant. They're exactly. elegant in their filmmaking techniques. I gave this a seven out of ten. Yeah. Uber violent. I knocked this up a hair because he twitches on the ground um, afterwards. Yeah, and that's it, what. It, and it made me laugh a little bit. Probably the seven point, the point five I gave it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, number five, we have Leroy shoots the seeing eye dog. Now I don't care if you include this in your kill count or not. We do at we the ranch. We well do. Ten out of ten. Uh, yes, you can't get more fucked up and monstrous than killing it. And you know, it's just. Here's the thing. It works as a serious kill and a comedic kill at the same time. It's double the shock value. That's a fucking anomaly. Yes. That's fucking fantastic. Like You couldn't write something that, that extravagant and, and have it land in exactly the way that it does. Fucking phenomenal. Uh, kills 6, 7, and 8. Preventing the rape of a blind patron named Sarah... Toxie rips off the right arm of Frank. Toxie then knocks Frank in the head with his own arm, which was very comical. 
very uh, three stooges, even though there are no... Uh, Quick trivia, he was an actual amputee. It's pretty obvious if you watch. Yeah, because there's no tucked-in arm. Um, after a back-and-forth fight with Rico uh, that in, uh, included nunchucks and a ninja sword fight... Um, by the way, there are ninja swords on the walls of this Mexican are restaurant. Are there not for, ninja swords in all the Mexican restaurants you go to? I uh, mean... Uh, and all the good ones. All are. the good ones. Uh, 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 Del Taco in Knoxville, Tennessee. has nothing, nothing but fucking uh, ninja swords on the walls. Um, so... <laughs> He inex the Toxie pours milk down Leroy's throat, scoops ice cream into his mouth, pours chocolate syrup, sprays whipped cream, and tops it off with a cherry before shredding his mouth and throat with the milkshake mixer. Toxie then places Rico's hand into a deep fryer basket. He bends it closed so he can't yes. get away. He puts it down in the hot oil. And um, it causes him to die from shock. I thought that Ben's was... the yeah. He's in. He immobilizes him. So oh he can't yeah, because there's like yeah, uh, the there's fucking like pipes in the wall, and he bends now so he can't get up. Yeah. That's just fucking wonderful. Um, Toxie then picks up Frank and stuffs him into an oven. Ten out, out of, of motherfucking ten. And you know, as a side note, he also convinces that uh, worker at that restaurant to stop drinking and change his life. The I one, mean, yeah, it's drinking spine, but when you're drinking on the job, the the one guy who is like smoking while he's making the the smoking while he's making that pulls out like the most obvious in the middle of the work floor pulls out a pint. Oh, and, takes and a by swing. the way, you get the you know yes. noise while he pulls it out of his pants. That's funny stuff. Um, kill number nine: health spa drug dealer gets his head caved in by a weight while working out because Toxie pulls him into position on the uh, you know the weight bench. What do you give this kill? 10 out of 10, man. This is like 80s low-budget gore at its best. You got like the lower jaw still attached. You got the cheesy blood spray. I have two ratings for this kill. Uh-oh. The theatrical version, I give it a 9 out of 10. The, the unrated cut, I give it a 9 out of 10. You just gave both of them 9 out okay. of 10. Okay, a 10 out of 10 for the un uh, the uh, theatrical and a 9 out of 10 for the unrated. What are they doing unrated? And the unrated, it, you sh you see more of the effect and it becomes a little more fake. Okay, I get that. Um, Yeah, and it's because I saw it in a 1080p resolution. If you saw this on VHS or DVD, it would probably look fine, but it's so crystal clear, you can tell it's puppeted. And, I bought know, it intentionally in standard definition. I appreciate your. <laughs> like, I know better than to get high your, your love of the old ways. So, uh, standard uh, ten out of ten, unrated nine out of ten. Yeah. Both ways, it's Great a fucking kills. memorable kill. And that guy, um, he's so sleazy, and you don't see him very much in the movie. He's just, there, just there, basically. Who the hell sells drug marijuana in pre-rolled joint? He's like, I want an ounce, and he hands out a. Bag of pre-rolled, pretty fat-looking good joints, but still. And then, like, the two syringes to the chick. I love it. So, <laughs> And they're cheap, too. They're like handing them, like, $5 or a dollar. Trump was in a recession at the time. You yeah. don't understand. Um, kill number 10. While masturbating in the sauna to Polaroids of the hit-and-run victims, Wanda is picked up and pressed on the hot coals which burns her ass. What do you give this kill? Nine out of ten, because I just love, like, he's just picking her up. And honestly, there's a horror movie element to this one and Julie's 
I'm putting kill in air quotes because they did try that's off screen. That like the horror elements a little more obvious. Like I'll show you. This is a lesson. Yeah, they they really uh, ramp up the more of the tension kind of stuff yeah. in these scenes. I Nine gave, out of ten. I gave this a six out of ten, and and here's why. Um, Wasting that good pussy. Hold. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cauterize them lips shut. Um, the setup was great, but I thought the the end result was a little lackluster because, and there was a tendency, this is just like a kind of a standard tendency that the, a lot of exploitation and horror movies had at the time where they didn't want to show women being killed horribly. Because they were also getting enough shit because they were still and, killing them and showing their tits and exploiting them. And exactly, but the... Uh, the and it was wanted to a lesser degree, but Julie absolutely deserves oh, yeah. the kill. That, oh, that absolutely. She, that, so, like I said, it should have been horrific. And she's like the only one that will get to her death anyway. But, like, they were filmed with the intention of them still being alive. That is their fly. You know what? I'm going to revise my score 7 out of 10 because it was filmed with the intention of leaving her alive with a bandaged ass in a later scene as a gag. Yeah. When these bitches are... She's masturbating to Kitty Snuff porn. Not even porn, Kitty Snuff. Not that either one's good. That being said, um, this was uh, this is the point in my VHS uh, where... Um, oh, them I, titties. Fuck, man. Um, by, actually, by this point, I had it on DVD. Okay. But, um, yeah, rewound a lot. Still framed. <laughs> Thank God for DVD. You can do the AB repeats oh, and get a little fuck, motion. yeah. Oh, man. 13, oh, actually more like 16-year-old me, because I think I was 16 when I first got a DVD player. And I can tell you, the Toxic Avenger was within the first, like, 10 DVDs I ever owned. Um, And I actually paid quite a bit for it, because I had to special order it, because back then you you couldn't go to, like, FYA and get trauma movies. You had to, like, special order them. Yep. And it was, like, 35 bucks, and, you know, in 19... Or maybe like two thousand one money, you know that that's a little more expensive than it is now. Um, but yeah, I, I wish Wanda had got a little a little more to it. But uh, man, I love you, Wanda. Love you, Wanda. Those uh long back when women would wear like long shirts and then would wear a belt and it would become like a dress. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. I six to that. six to fucking midnight, man. All right. Um, victims number eleven and twelve. Uh, while taking a toxic piss in an alley, yeah. Toxie is offered some quote unquote uh, quote unquote young poontang by a pimp in a limo. A twelve-year-old girl being offered up for twelve dollars. I mean, whatever you want to say, that's a great price. <laughs> Toxie refuses, obviously. Yeah. He chokes the pimp, which causes the pimp's goons to pour out of the limo. Have you ever seen um, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter? Yeah, we watched it. Okay, Jesus Christ Vampire Atheist. Hunter has this awesome part where all the atheists pour out of this this little car, and they do the clown yeah. car gag. And that's kind of similar to what happens here, where there's just like an inordinate amount of goons come out, you know, and they, you know... The, the fucked up they go at the end of the scene... Him and the twelve-year-old get in the car, and I guess he has the driver drop them off. The the driver doesn't like. He's so chill about yeah, it. Yeah, he oh, must man. not be evil because Toxie did not kill him. He didn't know what was going on. But in an attempt to ta- uh, to stab Toxie, the pimp misses and accidentally cuts the throat of one of his other goons. Toxie uh, forces the pimp to stab himself. 
Um, what do you give these two kills? Like six out of ten. It's it's neat, but you know, after you've crushed heads several times and like ripped off limbs and made human milkshakes, this is it's standard boilerplate. I, I gave this a five out of ten. Yeah, for two reasons. These kills take place during the montage, which is fucking terrific, yes. by the way. One of my favorite montages of any movie ever. And I'm There's not Rocky and this. I, I'm being serious. <laughs> yeah. This montage is so enjoyable. It's just nothing but like action and laughs. Every yeah, even every the second. sweet stuff he does. It's so it's so fucking funny. What are you doing to me? Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, but these kills. They only serve the purpose of adding to the kill count, which I'm not going to disagree with. I'm I'm 100 percent in favor of that. Here's the other thing, though. Um, these kills should have been way worse. Yeah, Child he's fucking peddling a 12 year old kid. That person should have been fucked with their own arm holding a knife. And lied about taking her to a David Bowie concert. Oh my and god, her that. <laughs> Is that that David the David Bowie concert? This day should have been. <laughs> Oh, it's horrible. No, no punishment is too harsh. Put on your red shoes and see, 84. Can't remember what era that would have been. Thin White Duke. No, yeah, it's, that would it would have been in the, the China Girl era. It would have been after the coked out chili peppers and milk era. So, <laughs> um, so uh, this is the, this next one is a big, big kill. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Toxie is surrounded by an alley. Uh, an al- in an alley uh, by Cigar Face and five other goons with guns. Toxie leaps onto the balcony and avoids their bullets, but the goons end up killing each other as a result because they shoot their guns simultaneously. I have to say, it also features Leroy, a.k.a. Patrick Kilpatrick, without makeup, as also one of the goons. He gets killed twice in this that's, movie. That's true. And <laughs> if you want to, like, we're going to make the, the dog getting killed stick. But if you want to remove a kill from this movie, you got to remove Cigar Face because he shows up in the sequels. Um, he's in two. He's not as himself, though, is it? Yeah, he plays Cigar oh, Face yeah, in yeah, two, he and, does. two and yeah, three. Two and three. But it's he, four. He's the he's police. A, he's a different character. Yeah. So if you got to take a the kill dog out, stays, you the, can take, exactly one hundred percent. The dog stays. But if you want to give Cigar Face, you know, the benefit pass. of the doubt, yeah, there you go. Um, what do you give this? I give it an 8 out of 10. Cause not because it's gory or over It's just so goofy and Looney Tunes. He just jumps and they all kill each other. And you get a little bit of like cigar face bleeding and twitching. So they still add the gratuitous. I, I gave this a 6 out of 10. Uh, creatively, albeit not wholly satisfying, uh, although the aftermath with Toxie giving their dead bodies the finger made me, <laughs> yeah. made me want to give it a more... Um, but almost specifically because Cigar Face, I know he survives, which I know is not a really a, a, an argument I can really make against. You know, it's movie, just like I, he I, did I in the to. Halloween Rob Zombie's Halloween, judging it for other things other than what it is. <sighs> but subsequent, it's Looney Tunes with real world subsequent movies contradict it, so I have to deduct points. Where are we talking about Citizen uh, Toxic Avenger two and three? No, we're no, talking about the Toxic no, Avenger. But you can't discount it for, can. for things that go on and a kill count came. Okay, fine. Um, (laughs) Number 19. Toxie chases Julie around the health spa and down to the basement and kills her off screen with a pair of scissors. What do you Two out of ten. That's exactly... I love the chase. I will say this. Like, I like the the these really horror movie element in it. I did like the... Two out of ten. Fuck that. That's exactly what I gave it. Julie's death should have been on screen. 
Like, Wanda's, I can almost forgive. Because they gave you something. They gave you some instance that she's suffering. Julie, more than any other character. In the Japanese cut, he cut her fucking hair. That's all he did. He's cut her hair and she's at the police department confessing. <sighs> Fuck that. I agree. Um, uh, number 20. Slug beats an old woman to death with her own cane and Bozo steals her car. Hey, Bozo got that punch in because he even says, Did you see your face when I punched her? I love it. It's 10 out of 10. Yeah, you're attacking an old lady <laughs> pretending to help her with her groceries and I, beating her with a cane. I gave, I gave this an 8 out of 10. Okay. I would I would have ranked it a little higher, but I mean, it, it's... It's so, competing it, with a lot. It, it is competing with a lot, and it, it's so like... Of, of everything that happens in the movie, like, it's a blink and miss kind of moment. Yeah. Uh, but it does serve the purpose of getting them into a car. Um, number 21... Toxie leaps onto the stolen roof of or the car, the stolen car, the roof of the stolen car, and Toxie chokes Slug and slings him out from the moving car, presumably killing him on impact. We're counting that as a death, yeah, because he's not leaving any. It's uh, five out of ten, though, and I'm being generous because, again, as he said, with all these major, the big four of like the 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 health spa, his like he's, I don't know. I gave it a 6 out of 10, and the reason I did is the stunt with Toxie on the top of the car is real. Yeah. And it's so... You can't understate this. Nobody does stunts like that now. And no lower than a million dollar budget movies then were doing stuff like that. This is fucking dangerous. And one thing, uh, noticing back, I never noticed this before until watching it in 1080p, there's handles on the top of the car where he's holding on. I didn't notice. And, um, fuck it. I can completely forgive it because that's such a fucking amazing thing. It is. And that whole sequence where they're like driving around and like there's so many other cars that like flip and blow up. There's one scene where they're flipping or crashing the car and it looks like somebody's walking up the road and doesn't know they're filming a movie stunt. (laughs) Like I noticed that That's very possible. That's probably like what the fuck? Uh, Number 22. With Slug being thrown out of the car, Toxie climbs inside and attacks Bozo car causing the car to accelerate. Wildly. You want the wheel? I'll give you the wheel. He takes the car into oncoming traffic. The stunt driving, the accidents and explosions are incredible uh, considering the budget of the film. Uh, Bozo demands that Toxie give him back the wheel, as you just pointed out, and then Toxie rips it off and gives it back to him. And this scene of the car crashing off the hill, you have probably seen in a dozen or more trauma movies. It's absolutely spectacular and the great thing about it is like after the explosion the fire burns out Toxie walks out unharmed what do you give this kill i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten because of Toxie's malicious glee in that i mean you don't see a lot of gore but you know he's terrified he's going through all this i'm gonna get eight out of ten just for solely on the basis of the malicious glee and the ridiculousness of Toxie getting out completely for even his clothes i i also gave this an eight out of ten big budget movies hardly ever do real chase scenes and a a low budget movie doing this so well and him getting like you know the the heroes dust off and walking away that's that's so fucking punk rock i love it love it Number 23. Now, this is one I had completely forgotten about, and I know you had forgotten about this kill. Um, 
Toxie throws a little person into a dry cleaner and tumbles her to death and then singes her body with the heat of the clothes press. Now, unlike the other people uh, Toxie has killed, she is presumed to be innocent, which kind of tie- yeah. turns the tide against him with the public opinion, or at least, you know, giving them a justification yes. for like going after him. Even though she turns out to be a white slaver... Of every weird kind of awful thing to have in this movie. Human trafficking. But it's just the fact that they call her a white slaver and then she's a little person. I don't know why I find this so I'm sorry, any movie, horror movie (laughs) that has killed a little person and the two, like there's this and like the hotel manager in the remake of My Bloody Valentine. (laughs) Just crack me up and fill me with joy. I'm going 10 out of 10. I know I should probably rate it less, but... Because I totally forgot. And then Toxie just pops out of nowhere and fucking murders a little person. I, I gave... And makes a really racist comment. Something about washing oh, up. Oh, he does a fucking yeah. Chinese, like... A horrible know, accent. Oh, man. Uh, it's very much of its time. Um, and that's, that's a whole stereotype about, you know, Asian people running laundromats. But, you know, Calgon or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I gave it a 9 out of 10. And here's the reason. I felt like this is the one part of the movie where the budget was starting to show yeah, a little bit. I get that. Um, because everything's implied, and, and uh, it's it's good, but it's not great. It's it's just a, like a, a cunt hair away yeah. from being great. Um, so, like if they'd have shown a couple of her cunt hairs. <laughs> it's horrible. We're would monsters. They, would they have been extra short? That's fucking terrible. All right, number 24. After unsuccessfully trying to shoot Toxie to death, the mayor has his guts ripped out by Toxie. Now, the mayor tries in vain to put his guts back in as he falls to the ground and dies. What do you give this? 10 out of 10. I love it, although... You gotta give it up to the mayor. He knows how to live like the massage scene by the six foot long sub that the cast ate. Like the film and oh, yeah, like like, the crew ate that party sub that he's laying naked beside. Fucking, like for the entire shoot. Cheese sandwiches. That's all they had. And they had so much left over, they just like fucking dumped it someplace. Like over a cliff or something. Oh, man. But uh, no, definitely 10 out of 10. Uh, like it's just so. Because this is the point in the movie where you kind of almost. There's like. A couple of minutes, you forget this is a hard R exploit because everybody's like, "No, we can't let him get Toxie." He said, "You know, like the townsfolk rise up and no, we're not going to shoot him." <laughs> oh, blah blah, all this like PG Disney stuff, and then let's see if you have any guts and rips out his fucking intestines in front of the National Guard, who just let it happen. Hey, he must be bad. It's oh, science. Man. Um, let's talk a little bit about our, our additional cast. Um, in the role of Sarah, aka Toxie's girlfriend, we have Andre. Uh, Andre, I'm I'm going to mispronounce this. Andre. It's A N D R E E. So it's either pronounced Andrea, Andre. Let's go, let's go Andrea. I, I don't Just... know. Um, her only other film role was in a movie uh, starring Don Rickles and Don Adams called Two Top Bananas. Uh, I've never seen this movie, but um, I love Don Rickles and uh, you gotta love uh, Agent 86. Um, yeah, you do. Uh, Maxwell Smart. Um, my biggest complaint, how is she not naked in this movie? I had misremembered her being topless. We talked about this. I actually remembered that it wasn't until part two, his girlfriend in part two, that they had a nude scene. Yeah, different different actress. 
because um, I have a theory that he keeps kidnapping blind women because the original Sarah <laughs> died of cervical cancer from all the toxic waste dumped inside her body. Okay, um, you may just answer the question I'm about to ask. Um, she's blind. That's that's common. But how the fuck does she not smell that they're in a dump? Because that's where they live. I do have to say this, though. They, she is also a resident of Tromaville and has been around that. You know, like Morristown, you could used to smell the wood mill, uh, fucking. Oh, or like the the chicken plant. The chicken plant. You get used to certain smells. It's funny because I literally have this written down. Fan theory: Trumbaville smells so bad that nobody would realize. LL. It's true. See, I'm a I'm a genius. Um, that's that's interesting. <laughs> um, uh, I'm still convinced they're all different women that he's gone crazy and kidnapped because. No, good on him. Really. Good on him, man. For he being upgraded. A ba- like how how rare is it to find like a fucking ten out of ten blind blonde, and then he does it like four times, or it, I guess maybe three times because two, two and three, and three are the same, and then yeah. the chicken four super fucking high. Um, let's talk about Peter Bell Goody, who is the mayor, played by uh, Pat Ryan. Um, you may also have seen him in Mannequin and the excellently. Disgusting 1987 Street Trash. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And I just watched that not long ago. I always like Mannequin, Kim Cattrall, Schwang. Um, me and uh, Stank Dick Eddie, I, and I don't, this is never <coughs> fucking, uh, it's never choreographed, but it is inevitable that he and I will reference Mannequin 2 to one another accidentally. Like, on a weekly basis. And, and this happens all the fucking time. As much as I like Christy Swanson more than Kim Cattrall, not in those two movies. Kim Cattrall's hotter than Christy Swanson in Mannequin 2. Oh, well, and, and undoubtedly, it's the it's the lesser of the two movies. I'm not going to yes. argue okay. that point, but it's always Mannequin 2 that we <laughs> reference because weird. it's just a weird movie. I've not talked about Mannequin 2 since it came out in theaters till this conversation. Oh, well, we're going to have to get you in on this, uh, <laughs> this, this convo. Um, I feel like there's so many wasted opportunities um, with... Mayor Bell Goody, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, every scene he's in, in the background, there are dancing and women they're in never bikinis, topless. And they're never fucking topless. And I had to think this was probably a conscious decision. They knew they were going to fight the ratings board when it came to fucking yeah, uh, gore and stuff. Yeah, chose their battles. So, yeah, but man, motherfucker. That's why you do an unrated cut. And I, I know they weren't thinking this, about things like that then. I have but to say damn. this. It could also have been budgetary. Paying a chick to dance around in lingerie, it probably costs a hell of a lot less than paying a chick to dance around naked. It's fucking worth it, man. I'm not saying it's not, but Lloyd Kaufman knows how to save. And like you said, it's probably ratings and budget. I feel, I feel. But with him getting that massage by that six foot fucking sub, I'm like that. I watch this today. I'm like, he knows how to live. Lloyd Lloyd Kaufman, uh, hear me now. Hear me clear. Hear me well. If you are ever in a financial bind that prevents you from having dancing naked women, call me. I will fucking go into debt just to make sure that your next film has naked dancing women yes. in the background. That is that is my solemn command and oath, and I will not break it. So saith the Lord, Odin, Dio, and me. Hail. <laughs> um, I feel like, narratively, they kind of dropped the ball a little bit with the mayor. And the reason I feel this is... He's the he's kind of positioned as the he's the, the kingpin. He's the kingpin. He's the the evil. You know, he's the he's the final boss of the movie. 
but because he doesn't have a direct connection to Bozo and his group, it, it, it falls a little bit flat. I get that. I don't. I perfectly agree. And even thought of that today, even though like all the other crime Toxie's cleaning up, it doesn't relate to Melvin specifically. And then, it, then again, at the end, he just do 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 do. do. You got to see if you got any guts. See, like if you had had it, like where maybe like he's like Bozo's nephew, and he's the yeah, one who's like so, yeah. he's preventing him from like getting allowing, arrested, getting arrested and stuff. And you had that kind of chain of like we're thinking about plot and logic though in a trauma I, I movie. I know, I know, but it's a little thing that could have improved the movie. Yes, and his stuff is all literally tell, don't show. Oh, here's the budget for this. And oh, here we'll do that. And it's, it's all tell the not showing until like he rips his guts. I am so sorry. You son of a bitch. I had an alarm set and I'm a monster. Um, playing the role of Officer O'Clancy, we have Dick Martinson. Uh, he, he's also uh, seen in the movie Batteries Not Included, which I absolutely loved as a kid. I love it. Um... I don't know this for a fact, but I believe this character was sort of inspired by Chief O'Hara from the 1960s Batman show. In addition, let's not neglect the fact that he's also just playing off the stereotype of like Irish cops. Yeah, from, I think it's a little yeah, a little column A, a little column B. But I mean, he he's he's the you know uh, lawful good and you know Irish accent. He wouldn't take and, the five dollar those weren't hundred dollar bills <laughs> they were counting out. Those were dollar bills. I love that, like, there, like there's an exposition dump. It's like, oh, they say he won't do it. Let's try. And then, it's you know, he doesn't a... do it. And I don't know. Yeah. It, he, he, he serves his purpose. And he kind of becomes, you know, like the, the advocate for, for Toxie. But uh, otherwise, like, he's kind of inconsequential to the, yeah. to the plot. Um, David Weiss plays the chief of police. And this is his only film credit. Um, there is no subtle way uh, to talk about this character. He's just a Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he he speaks the German accent. He does the hell Hitler thing every uh, fucking like the end of every scene he's in. Um, this is just to offend people, and and they put him in the right position. Yeah. He's supposed to be a bad guy. You're supposed to hate him, but fuck me running is it just it's it's just not something you see in movies generally. You like someone out. casually playing a Nazi. Oh man. Um, and, uh, we have, uh, Sarah Bell Levinson playing Melvin's mom. Uh, her only other film role, uh, oddly enough, is in Toxic Tutu, so she kind of has a, uh, come full circle. Um, narratively, I feel like they missed a moment with her character, kind of bringing the, the, the wholesomeness, kind of that feel-good moment, because she's terrified when, like, Melvin goes ah, back to her. And, and then she... At the end of the movie, just unexpectedly, that's my, that's my son. Like she came to that realization, but I felt like they could have had, uh, you know, some no. moment. She was a bad mother, and she's a money grubbing bitch, and realizes that her son's now a celebrity. So that's how I will always view her. She turned her son away. Fuck her. Well, I didn't think about it that way. So yeah, fuck that cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't know about you, but all these incredible facts have left me parched. I sure could use a drink. So let's drink it in, man. Toxic Avenger edition. Oh, oh, so once you've listened to this excellent retrospective, we invite you to pop in your VHS, Laserdisc, DVD, Blu-ray, or digital copy of the Ta- uh, Toxic Avenger and play this fun drinking game. But as always, please drink responsibly. So I want you to do, pop in your copy, 
And whenever someone's head is crushed, take a shot. Anytime the chief of police does the Nazi salute, take a shot. Anytime Toxie's voice is obviously dubbed, take a shot. Anytime someone's being politically incorrect, oh god, take a shot. Maybe a half shot on that maybe, one. Maybe like a sip of beer. Maybe um, a drink of your chaser. Anytime Maribel Goody is shown eating, take a shot. Take a double shot if there's a uh, a half naked woman dancing in the background. Uh, anytime you see nipples pull up his skirt and laugh, take a shot. <laughs> uh, anytime you see a barrel of toxic waste, take a shot. And uh, last but certainly not least, take a double shot. When the seeing eye dog is shot. You know, LOL. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Go back, re-listen to this list. Pick about four of those. And if you do the entire list, you are not on my level. They call me Drunk Tony for a reason. If you try this with a hard 80 proof liquor and you're not a pro and you do all of his suggestions... You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, maybe you work your, yourself up you to this You work your way up to the pantheon of godlike drinkers <laughs> such as myself. <laughs> now, for the more adventurous members of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast and the Rant Army, we also have a Toxic Avenger-inspired cocktail. I'm going to stop you right there, but it doesn't have cocaine in it. It's not worth it. Oh, well then just, no, just, just add that to the top. Yeah. Just uh, garnish. Sprinkle a garnish the shot glass. <laughs> um, line the cup. ram with it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what's your, this, these are your ingredients. You're going to need a half an ounce of rum, a half an ounce of gin, a half an ounce of tequila, a half an ounce of vodka, a half an ounce of triple sec, a half an ounce of beer, uh, blue uh, cur- Caraco. Caraco, um, a half an ounce of melon liqueur, and one can of energy drink of oh, your choosing. Christ. Is this called the Kyle? <laughs> this is called the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you're going to do, you're going to pour all your contents minus the energy drink into a shaker. You're going to shake vigorously, pour the contents into a tall glass filled with ice, and you're going to top the energy drink uh, to the top, and you're going to leave the can in the top. So, the idea being you're going to have that energy drink at the top, and then you're going to drink your liquor through it. So, it's going to replenish you as you go on, but it's going to get you all sorts of fucked up. So, you'll be toxic ready oh as you yes, continue Yes, definitely. On. That's the drink you should drink when the scene eye dog is killed. <laughs> that actually sounds terrible. It really um, does. It's like a rum gin tequila. I, I don't like... Actually, the thing that sounds terrible is the energy drink. Um, I drinking that other stuff. Like, um, I mean, if you're sipping on it, it'd probably be all right. But if you're like, Sh- I just don't. Like I was it. just gonna say, shout out to Rockstar Super Sour Green Apple, the closest thing to a good tasting energy drink. Well, good on them. I I've yet to find one. I like the Monster um, coffee drinks that are energy, but I don't like straight up energy drinks. Let's do a the a very very short amount of trivia, just the ones we didn't include into the you know as we were continuing on. Future Oscar winner Marissa Tomei was an extra on the film, and you can see her coming out of the shower in the spa. Oh. This is like a blink and you miss it kind of thing, but just add that to the many list of people who started off in trauma yep. movies. Uh, during the car wreck scene, the stunt car was rigged to allow the vehicle to drive straight with the gas pedal to the floor. Uh, the roll bar uh, installed to the car, however, was wrecked when the car was falling you know, off the cliff. And it almost killed the stunt driver who was driving the vehicle. Now, since then, like, 
in, in fact, uh, you'll you'll find uh, in the Cursed films on Shudder, uh, they have an interview with Lloyd Kaufman. He talks about how important safety is. I think this was a learning, oh yeah, a learning moment. Like you know, we have to be very serious because I mean, like the horrible things that have happened in movies, and you know, good people have been killed for you know, as as much as we love movies, like this, this is not a good reason for someone no. to die. So good on them for taking precautions, and this is probably a good reason as to why they did. And according to Dan Snow, the character uh, name and gimmick for Cigar Face. Uh, they were thought up on the spot by Lloyd Kaufman, and they were they were filming his scenes, and uh, he kind of saw uh, the dude, you know, smoking a cigar. So he just kind of came up with that. Hey, on the cigar spot. face. So that shows you how uh, magic can kind of happen on the uh, on the spot. All right. Last but not least, we have a handful of fan questions. Let's get through these, and we'll call it uh, we'll call it a year because we're coming up on twenty twenty one. Merry Christmas, people. And Happy New Year. Uh, what do you think is the lasting... Fr- uh, well, hold on, let me say this again. Why do you think it's been a lasting franchise when so many other uh, others have been forgotten or rebooted? That comes from James Breha. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm going to say this because Lloyd Kaufman had the intelligence to make Toxie his Mickey Mouse to his whole film, you know, the whole company. Because even though there's only like four films... There's still he's the Mickey Mouse, he's the face. Yeah, he's but but, in but, but Toxie is it, Toxie is like this ever present thing. Like and, and like all the trauma movies, like if you get a DVD or like a VHS, there's always something Toxie related. Toxie related. So he he inserted and made that the mascot of the company. Yeah, it, I, I think that's why it has such a longevity. And you know they're fucking fun, great. Even schlock. though even though like two and three, like it's very obvious it was shot to be one movie and it was split into, into half into two movies and the plot doesn't really make sense when you view them back to back those are still enjoyable movies and and trauma is a niche thing but the people that this is aimed at it's it's a thing that like you you love it because it's for you like this exactly. is this is not uh this is not content made by committee this is this is like we're going to give you what you want this is for fans Absolutely. by fans so that that's why it's had a uh, a lasting impact. Now, this question may have a little more hard to answer. Full Moon versus Trauma. Who do you prefer? That comes from Aaron Johnson. Oh fuck, Aaron. Okay. Oh my God, that's gonna give me a stroke. Well, while you're but the- I hate to say this. At first, I the answer popped into my head, and I felt bad about it, but it's the truth. I do have to give the edge to Full Moon, probably from growing up watching Trancers and, you know, Puppet Master. They have a more deep-rooted earlier effect on me. But if I want gory schlock, trauma hands down. You know, I if I think that this is a question I would answer differently depending on what stage of my life you were to ask me. If you asked me when I was in like sixth and seventh grade, it would unabashedly have been trauma because yeah. those films felt dangerous to me. Yeah. And, um, I have been, uh, I have, I'm single handedly keeping fucking full moon <laughs> in, in business right now. I have their streaming service. I constantly buy from them. I have a blade, um, uh, COVID mask. I fucking love fucking full moon. 
But if I'm going to be completely honest with you, as far as like the movies that have had more impact on me, I think Trauma is going to edge them out, even though they're probably more full moon movies that I prefer. I know that's kind of a cop out, but it's it's the it's the question of like quantity over quality, I guess. I, I don't know. We've always been kind of a yin yang, opposite side of the coin. I feel the same way. Like like full moon just barely edges out the trauma. I prefer Nightmare where you prefer Friday, but it's still really close yeah. for me. But yeah, that, that's a really hard question. That's a good question. Uh, this next question comes from Adam Smart. I know there is a remake in the works, but I'm scared it'll be made for pussies. Can a mainstream Toxie movie be successful without toning it down for a mainstream audience and still be good? Oh, mainstream remake. No, it'll be made for pussies and it'll be horrible. If it's released on digital on some independent, you know, other independent, you know, film company, if this is a Platinum Dooms remake kind of thing, no, it's going to suck. I don't know where, where they are right now in the the possibility of this happening. I know they're moving forward yes. with it, but there was a brief moment, and I don't know if this is still the plan, where Kevin Smith was attached to do it. Damn. Kevin Smith has his oh. roots in, you know, the no-budget films. He has a sentiment that is sort of adjacent. Do you think Kevin Smith would be an appropriate oh. person to If help? there's any mainstream film uh, like director, aside from James Gunn, like you said, but I think James Gunn is not ashamed of this past, but is not willing to go back, but Kevin Smith kind of wavers. No, there is no, because I fucking love Red Side, lots of people shit on Red Side. Red Side genuinely right, disturbed me, right. and the end of a head. Side sidebar: I didn't know anything about Red State. I'm over I at Fat Tony's house, and I'm watching it, and I didn't know anything about this going into it. And when they get to the point where the fucking horns sound outside, I like stood up. I'm like, no, they can't end this movie this way. That's fucking, that's the most ballsy thing. And they didn't, but they made me believe yes. just long enough. They're like, oh my God, they're going to end this movie with a the, literal ab- Christian apocalypse. And the only reason they didn't was budgetary. <laughs> oh, but uh, but so yes. I, I think that Kevin Smith, uh, in, in terms of like possible people that could get if it. you surround him with a good enough crew and uh, ancillary people said so he's not done a lot of gore although the effects in uh tusk were great the suit's yeah. great looking you give him that kind of yeah he could maybe do it I, I i think he'd be a little more apt at the you know the raunchy kind of yeah. unpolitical or you know or uh what i'm trying to say uh un pc kind of aspect to it but as far as it ended up in theaters, I just don't see. I, no, I, never. I don't. I don't see any version of the of the Toxic Adventure ending up in theaters. You That's know, good. pandemic or otherwise. Like, there's no way you can do this without like fucking changing the character. Well, yeah, there is a way, but it just wouldn't be good. Well, the, it would suck. It would. It would be in name only. That's true. All right, we got two more questions. They come from our luminary titty flipping Travis. Uh, this first one because. Uh, does Melvin get a supersized every... Yes, he that motherfucker's packing. Um, I think that's actually pretty evident in the movie because there's the part where, where Sarah is like, you know, touching his face yeah. and then she grabs his crotch and she's like, oh, sorry. And she has a, a very, uh, um, like, oh, I like what kind I of felt. Scared, kind of scared, kind of excited look. <laughs> um, the next question, and this will close us out. 
Who has <coughs> the more toxic dick, Melvin or Stank Dick Eddie? Well, the obvious answer is Stank Dick Eddie. You ever seen his kids? Fuck, just kidding. I'm just, oh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the look on my face. If you could, I was like, God damn, man. It's, those I'm, are real people. I'm just joking. Kalen and fucking Finn are adorable. They're, yeah, they're beautiful he, I, kids. I'm friends on Facebook. Uh, I, don't, I don't know they're, him. They're, they're, they're complete shitheads, but they're, but they're cute little kids. Um, no, um... Stank Dick Eddie's dick just stinks. It's not toxic. It stinks because he, it he uses it. Melvin's is toxic. Like, uh, um, fuck, and to- it's just toxic. He does have a, uh, he does get her pregnant, yeah. right? That's why he has that sandwich with her pregnancy, to Braille pregnancy test. <laughs> she took immediately after they fucked. During the five seconds that the bomb at the school for very special people is counting down. Oh, Citizen Toxie, let's let's table that because one day we're going to have to do it. Ooh. Probably before we ever do uh, two or three. Oh yeah, because um, to me it's the it's the, it's the, the actual sequel. sequel. Um, I think that's going to wrap us up for another month, but we're going to be back in 2021 for another movie retrospective. Before we do, uh, do you have any um, New Year's resolutions? To just fucking forget about this year as fast as possible. To stop being as... To stop engaging in so much political divisiveness. Because I'm fairly liberal, as people know. And, you know, I'm going to just... And and I'm gonna I'm gonna get drunk as often as possible. I I'm I'm totally on board for and, that. And you know, we're, the 2021 is going to be the year that Ransom and Black Lodge has got to up the titty tally. This titty drought, I think, is responsible for the COVID. Uh, fuck, like, man, that makes me feel terrible. Well, fuck, we're gonna have to do Russ Meyer movies for <laughs> yeah. the entirety of 2021 to to balance everything out. Um, my my goal. And it's uh, pretty much the same goal I had in 2020, which I, I feel like that we, in a large part, have achieved. Like, when you look back on this year, like, we've had Jack Shoulder, we've had Eileen Dietz, Darcy the Mail Girl, oh John God. Brennan. Fuck me running. Like, the people who have continually uh, been a part of this podcast. The Cinema Sob. Oh, Brian my God, Brian yeah. Jones, that's, that's... It's been fucking fantastic. And I, I think... Everybody who's been a part of it, but I want to thank each and every one of you out there in the Rant Army who continually send back feedback and download these podcasts and just take a couple hours to laugh with us. I want to say, Brandon, I don't remember his name and I wouldn't share it anyway, but Brandon shared a message that somebody direct messaged him. Saying something really nice about me, and it honestly made my fucking week. Oh yeah, most of the uh, ones about you are pretty negative. Just good, you know, send those to me too. They're not. They're not. Um, but yeah, uh, we get those from time to time, and uh, um, it's it's nice when people say nice things because a lot. I'm just be honest with you, a lot of times it's fucking negative because like, how can you say something negative about a movie I love? And it's like, motherfucker, did you listen to the podcast? Because I'm kind of a, I'm always a sixty forty kind of guy, you know, yeah. seventy thirty. I'm I'm gonna say nice things even about movies. I don't like, but yeah, th- this is th- this has been a great year, and we're hoping for great things in 2021. And we want you all to come aboard with us. Uh, the Rants for the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. So please go give us a sub and tell about 10,000 of your friends to do the same. Uh, you can find us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. I am very active on there now. I'm running the Twitter, so if you direct message us, I'm the one you will be talking to. Specifically me. Not Stank Dig Eddie. Not Fat Fuck Scott. Me. So if you want to find me, that's where you can find me, or you can find me on our... Uh, Send him dick pics. Please don't. Um, titty pics, <coughs> uh, if they're nice. Uh, otherwise, they're keep, all nice. keep, keep Ladies, those to yourself. Thank you. I don't know, man. I've seen some fucking <coughs> flapjacks in my time, too. They're, <laughs> they're boner-killing. Go check out our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, go buy a t-shirt or a mug from our web store at RantArmy.com. For Fat Tony, this is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army. Actually, till next year, Rant Army. Keep marching.